control Shoveling dirt in every hole Predators to condemn your soul Watching you and watching me We're all connected but separated Misunderstood and so frustrated A million armies of one have invaded Watching you and watching me
The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. Atop the mountains of British Columbia, to you, listening around the world, this is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott. You can follow us on our website. SpacedOutRadio.com on iTunes and TuneIn. Follow Dave on Twitter at SpacedOutRadio.com on Facebook at SpacedOutRadioShow or on our YouTube channel SpacedOutRadioShow. Game on! Game on! Game on! Dave, oh Dave, are you playing with Bigfoot and aliens again? Password is. Alright, alright, alright. Okay, seriously, what's with the pointies? Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Spaced Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff. <laughs> seriously, Dave? Really? Hey, Bye bye. Captain, take your seat on my left. It's time for takeoff. Good evening and welcome to Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott, and it's good to have you along for the ride wherever you are on this fine and fantastically beautiful planet we call Earth. We are live right here in Uncle Jimbo's cabin, right here in the Great White North on this Tuesday night, 
early Wednesday morning if you're on the East Coast. We welcome in everyone listening in at spacedoutradio.com, on Spreaker, on the United Public Radio Network, Renegade Talk Radio, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and on Revolution Radio. As we do this thing every night of the week, rocking in and out of every show, thanks to our resident guitar god, Mr. Ron Bumblefoot-Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy. Bumblefoot is the official sound of SOR. If you're a social media junkie like I am, Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, you can follow me at Dave Scott, S-O-R. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Find us on TuneIn. Download our shows from iTunes. We are also on RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, and Stitcher. And our website is SpacedOutRadio.com. Hey, if you want to take part in this show, because we love our audience, our participation, you got to remember, though, we don't take phone calls. What we do do, though, is take your questions from the chat rooms, either on Revolution Radio, on Spreaker, on the UPRN chat room, on Facebook at the SOR Space Travelers Club, or if you're on Twitter, use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio like Rahonda did. And I'll get to your questions and comments in there as well. On our website, if you haven't signed up for the SOR Space Travelers Club yet, it's only 5 bucks a month. With that, your name gets put into monthly prize draws you get access to a private section for posting on our website and so much more and we're going to be adding more to that soon and if you're on our website you can read up on my latest blog it is science versus opinion this week highly suggest you check it out make a comment on there as well eric markham's sor space wire for your latest and weird news is right there and if you've had a sighting that you can't explain fill out an sor sightlines report our researcher mike schmidt is right there waiting for you We want to welcome in everyone listening in on Renegade Talk Radio live out of Las Vegas, Nevada. We are also live on the United Public Radio Network on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. And we are also live on Revolution Radio. The Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. The weird and the strange attracts a lot of people, especially when the experiences are quite real. And for the last 35 years, author David Weatherly has been at the front end of investigation when these strange occurrences are reported. Does he believe the stories? Well, I'm pretty sure he has a good skeptical eye as the quality researcher that he is. But there is a vast many of people whose stories and experiences are just purely unexplainable. This is where the adventure begins. From black-eyed kids to haunted toys, Sasquatch to aliens. The fascination of learning about these obtuse topics is a lifelong commitment and thrill for David. Sure, it could be frustrating. Everything is in this field. For every answer, there's literally thousands of more questions. But the quest is real for David. That's why he continues to write. That's why he continues to research. David's website can be found at twocrowsparanormal.blogspot.com. We welcome in David Weatherly to Spaced Out Radio tonight for the first time. David, thank you so much for being with us and our audience. How are you tonight? Hey, Dave. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to get someone of your stature on this show because we pride ourselves on trying to bring the best and brightest minds to our fans because we are growing at an enormous rate. And to get someone like you on the air to give your professional opinion on what the hell is actually going on out there, Dave, it's a real, real nice treat for us. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure, man. 
you know, Dave, there's a lot of people out there who have had experiences. They've had the unknown happen. That's why they tune into shows like mine, yours, other radio shows over the years. Was it for you just the curiosity of getting this going and learning about these subjects, or did you actually have an experience that you couldn't explain that put you down this life path? Well, the answer is both, really. You know, uh, this started for me when I was a kid, and uh, I often say that what you're supposed to do finds you as as much as you find it, and uh, that's certainly true when we're dealing with the supernatural, I think. And, you know, for me, my personal journey was sort of a combination of things. I uh, I was, I grew up in a rural area, North Carolina, and, um, you know, I, I was the, <laughs> at the time I was the weird kid, I guess, you know, I was interested in all these unusual things that nobody else during that period was interested in. Uh, we're talking about the 1970s. And, you know, I just sought out whatever I could find. I, I remember finding uh, Von Donneken's Chariots of the Gods and, you know, at a little paperback rack in a, uh, drugstore and reading that and you know then I would I would like talk to my grandmother about ghost stories that had been passed down from the family and things like that and um, you know then lo and behold <laughs> we had this this woman move in close to us an elderly couple and it turned out she was a spiritualist and um you know I started going over and I would visit with her and she was just in a, in a, you know into all these different things and would talk about, you know, the basics of spiritualism or talking old school stuff, you know, table tapping and seances and those types of things. And, uh, then I discovered fate magazine because she had it one day and that was a real eye opener because I'd never seen this thing before. Here was a, a magazine that offered articles on everything I was interested in, you know, Sasquatch, haunted sites, uh, UFOs, all these different topics. And, Man, I, I mean, that, that was something I, I I always tell the joke that, you know, I, I discovered this one day at her house and she told me, you make sure you come back and visit the next day. And uh, I did. And she presented me with this huge crate of several years worth of fate. And she said, I, I don't need these anymore. I think you should have. I, I was unexplainably sick, uh, too sick to go to school for about a week. And, uh, you know, just kind of barricaded myself in and, and read all this material and really absorbed it. And that, that's kind of what set me on this idea of, wow, there's other people exploring this stuff all the time, and I can do this too. So I never really looked back from there. 35 years of investigating. That's a lifetime for a lot of people in any sort of career. Have you ever got sick of it? Have you ever said, you know, I've had enough? Uh, you know, um, no, not really. Uh, I, I have to say it's actually it's closer to 40 years at this point. It's actually over 40 years at this point. And, um, you know, there's been a few frustrating periods, I suppose, uh, because the more it's become in a part of the pop culture and in the public eye and everything, it's, uh, you know, you take the good and bad that comes with that. And um, there's so much division in the field now that, uh, you know, a lot of it you just have to avoid, I think, if you're a serious researcher. You know, there's so many uh, politics, for instance, amongst a lot of the, the various groups that investigate and things like that. And it's, 
you know, when it comes down to it, it's usually just petty stuff. Um, so that's, that's kind of aggravating at times, but overall, no, it's, it's not, uh, it's not something I've ever backed away from. And part of that is probably because I have, you know, a vast range of interests within the field. I, I don't just do investigations at haunted sites or, you know, just do cryptozoology. I do the whole range of it. So, uh, that I think that for me kind of keeps it even more interesting. And of course, looking at all the, various connections between those different things. Um, but overall, no, I, I've, I've never felt like backing away from it. The reason why I ask that is because I know a lot of people in this field, and we've had a lot of longtime investigators on this show who say that the new wave of investigation that's happened over the last five to ten years as television has really taken these topics and blown them out of the water for popularity, now everybody's a researcher. When everybody finds out that you don't need an education for this, now everybody wants to get into it. And I was curious on how you think it's affected the realm of the paranormal using that as an umbrella word has it done good for the investigation in your opinion or has the oversaturation absolutely taken it and ruined it for a lot of people because we now have so many different theories we now have so many different people arguing facebook is just drama central if you want to look at that when it comes to the paranormal and a lot of people are thinking (laughs) that that you know this whole fad of the paranormal has absolutely been a disgrace to the people who've done work for a long time, such as yourself in trying to bring it to the mainstream in a popular and scientific way. You know, it's a two edged sword, Dave, and I really try to look at all of these things from a balanced viewpoint. So having been in the field for so long, I can recognize uh, certainly the negative aspects that you're talking about. Uh, On the positive side, which I'll talk about first, is that when I started in this field, you know, of course there was no internet. Uh, There was not a popular acceptance of these topics. So to get information, to get accounts, and to get witness uh, testimonies, It took a lot of work. It took really sort of an old school journalistic approach. You had to get in and, and, you know, gain the trust of these people and insert yourself into the community to some degree enough so that people were comfortable talking to you. And just taking different sort of sideways approaches to get people to where they would talk about what they had experienced or what they had you know, heard and seen and so forth. It's the opposite today. Because it's such a part of pop culture, now everybody's more than willing to share their story. And you take both sides with that because you get people who, uh, you know, are more than willing to exaggerate or to, uh, you know, say whatever they feel is, is going to fit the paradigm that fits in with television and so forth. And, you know, I, I think that when you look at it from a, a balanced perspective, you have to accept that, well, it being such a, a popular, you know, such a part of pop culture now, that level of comfort does bring a lot of other stories out that we never would have heard before. It makes people more than willing to accept the possibilities 
of some of these things that we're dealing with not being explainable by our current by our current standards. So there's both sides of it. I, I don't I don't mind so much all the various theories. What kind of gets me a little bit is that there are so many people who are now self-proclaimed experts in the field. And, you know, I have literally talked to people whose background in investigation, uh, you know, their credentials are that they've seen every episode of Ghost Hunters. And (laughs) that's kind of appalling. You know, no matter how you look at it, it, it really is, because these are people who don't really understand the concepts they're trying to look at, they haven't done any reading. They they don't know anything about a paranormal investigator prior to, you know, whatever year Ghost Hunters debuted. Um, they don't know about people like Hans Holzer, John Keel, or, or Jacques Vallée, pioneers in the field, just in modern terms, that brought a lot of knowledge out and, and shed a lot of light on how to approach these various topics. So it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, as the years have progressed, you just have to sort of take it and weigh it along with everything else that, that contributes to the field at large. In your opinion, though, good or bad television for these topics? And it ranges, Sasquatch to the ghost hunting to, to UFO hunters has it been what we have needed for this field to bring this into the mainstream, or did it just get blown out of proportion once the ratings shot up? I think that initially it was good, and there are certainly some good shows that have been on, but I think that it has become, uh, not completely, but I think in a lot of ways it's become rather absurd. And I, I'm not going to name any particular shows, but there are some of them out there that are rife with TV actors as opposed to people who have a genuine interest in the field who are basically just, you know, being pretty ridiculous on camera just for, I don't know whether it's for laughs or drama or whatever you want to call it, but it, it's, it makes it pretty tough to be taken seriously sometimes when you know you're trying to talk to someone who claims they saw a a large hairy beast that they can't explain and they're referencing a rather comical television show you know has a point of reference or uh you know how we might proceed to to investigate further so, you know, I like I said, I remain pretty neutral on them. I, I think that there are some good things that have come out of it. But, uh, again, you know, TV, when it gets a hold of something, it, it doesn't let go until it just really beats it into the ground. And at, at this point, you know, we, we literally have dozens and dozens of these shows on, and every year there are fewer of them that are really worth watching. And I don't want to beat a dead horse with all this because, you know, I think they are providing a lot of good information and getting a lot of people who maybe have an interest in these topics, bringing them kind of up to speed with what is going on out there. And there is a lot going on as we speak, David, whether it's Sasquatch, whether it's UFOs and abductions from aliens, you know, to fairies and and black-eyed kids. Everything is going around that we just do not fully understand. And when you look at it, do you think that there is a simple scientific answer 
to what is going on out there or are we even scratching the bottom of the barrel yet to try and figure out any type of game plan to finding a solution to all of this? Wow, that's a big question, actually. Um, I think that we are approaching a period where science can start giving us some answers. And I say that because of how much quantum science, the quantum sciences have progressed and how much they've started to look into areas of the unknown. I'll give you an example. Uh, one example is that, you know, if you go back to a lot of tribal cultures, there are consistently around the world tales told about another race of beings that lived here at some point along with humans. And these other people, this other race, they leave the planet, but the description is always that, you know, they go through a shimmering doorway or a hole in the mountain or, you know, uh, a, a light, you know, they go into a light into the sky various descriptions that to me, I think are talking about something interdimensional as opposed to climbing aboard an, an, a UFO and taking off into space. That's something that is, is, really in a lot of ancient traditions and it's only it's only recently it's only in the last 10 years that quantum science has come forth with this whole theory of other dimensions and when it initially came out i think it was 2007 they basically stated okay well we know that there are uh, 12 other dimensions we don't know what's there or how to get there but we know they're there and that raises a curious question for me because that says, okay, well, just because we can't get there doesn't mean that something that's there can't get here. And, you know, this is basically science finally saying there are other levels of reality, other dimensions of existence. And this alone could explain a lot of the anomalous things that occur here in our reality. Mm-hmm. Do you think mainstream science has a play in the future of this, considering right now, for the most part, universities, <clears throat> regular scientists, excuse me, don't really want to take these topics seriously or put their name on the line with it? Well, I'll say two things with that. One is that there are probably a lot more scientists than you realize or that we're going to know publicly who are probing into these things. I, I've spoken over the years to various people interested in the quantum sciences who are very interested in the topic of uh, UFOs or other dimensional beings and things like this. Uh, they're just not going to talk about it publicly because the mass media still labels it as, you know, the tinfoil hat crowd. So, yeah, they are going to be very quietly looking at such things if that's uh, what they're doing. The other thing is that eventually, I think just by just by the very nature of the things that some of these scientists are probing into, there's going to start to be some crossover. I mean, we really have no idea what's going to happen with CERN, for instance, or what has already happened with it. So as we breach more and more into these areas, I think that by default, some of these things will start to come to light. I hope so. 
Because there's a lot of good people out there who have literally put their names on the line. You know, I think of Jeff Meldrum, John Bendernagel, Stanton mm-hmm. Friedman, love them or hate them. These are smart, smart people who have put their names on the line to come out and say, there is something happening here. We need to look into this more. And yet, for the rest out there, it just seems like, well, I'm sure you heard the story of the New Mexico senator, George Munoz, who wants to cut funding for looking for creatures that don't exist. That happened just about two weeks ago. You know, for every... Let's say every Jeff Meldrum, there is literally, David, you know, hundreds of George Munozes out there who don't want to see anything being spent on this type of research because it doesn't exist. Yeah, that's that's true to a degree. But, you know, again, that's really in the public eye. And it's it's kind of tough when it's a it's a topic that really is seen to a certain degree as entertainment. You know, Bigfoot is a great example uh, because we have all these television shows on now. Uh, it's, it's more acceptable to talk about this creature to a degree, but again, defaulting back to our conversation about the shows, you know, there's an element of all these television shows that have created this idea with a segment of the population that, Oh, okay, this is entertainment. You know, this is this is kind of fun. This is kind of goofy. When when there are particular incidents, I think that mm, kind of boss people into a certain degree, then you know you tend to see some transformation in how they respond to things. So what I'm talking about, for instance, is uh, an example would be the Phoenix Lights incident in uh, 1997. So you had this situation where a massive number of people reported seeing these lights. And, of course, it, to a certain degree, it was ridiculed in the media. It was shut down. Uh, the governor at the time, Simonton, made a joke about it. And, you know, he, he did a whole press conference with uh, someone parading out in this, this goofy alien costume. Uh, but then... Later on, you know, he, I mean, he was really ridiculed for that because there were so many people that were angry that he was making a joke about their experience. So it, it, it really kind of it put him on the spot. And, and in fact, he later came forward with an admission that he had seen something himself. So, you know, until we have more people of that statue that, that, demonstrate that it's not acceptable to make this a complete farce, then we're going to have these continual things in in the mainstream media that, you know, make it really difficult to prove this even more. And of course, that doesn't help that every, every time there's an incident, there was one recently in Texas, there was uh, some UFO sightings and, uh, there were a string of these accounts that went across central Texas. And of course the news media picks up on it. And what do they have to do? They have to play the X-Files theme. The newscasters have to chuckle and, and have a smirk on their face and tell this story. And, you know, the, the sad thing is, is that there's so many people, even, even that I've taught the newscasters 
that have admitted to things that they've seen, but there's still a certain level of, of stigma about admitting that you've seen something anomalous like that. If you're in a career field that is is seen as oh, what's the term? I don't know, vulnerable to, to any kind of you know question or ridicule. So you know, people who are, are uh, newscasters are, are worried about how they're going to perceive, be perceived by the public if they profess that they believe in something like that. Uh, the same is true as you're talking about with university professors and uh, you know certain different bureaucrats and, and so forth. So I, I think it, it's still kind of a struggle and it's still you know, something that is going to take more and more time. And it's probably going to take something major being resolved for us as a culture, you know, something that is, is absolute truth of the existence of otherworldly beings or, you know, a, a giant hominid that no one's seen up, you know, or had proof of up to this point or, uh, you know, proof of the existence of, of, I, I don't know, something, something within the anomalous realm that is, you know, indisputable. And I think that that is, is going to be the turning point to, to cause more people to say, okay, well, if that was, if that's real, then, you know, what about these other things? In your opinion, Dave, if you look at the entire expanse of the paranormal field, what do we have to do as researchers, as journalists? I consider myself a journalist. Okay, you're a researcher. I, I got my degree in radio broadcasting. You write about these topics. You've been researching 40-plus years. When you see this entire expanse that we call the paranormal field coming together, what do we have to do collectively to make the mainstream take us seriously about these experiences people are having on a daily basis? Collectively, I, I think that we just need to continue to gather information and continue to investigate on our own. On our own. I, I mean, I spend a lot of time in the field, you know, uh, talking to witnesses going to locations and investigating sites and it, it's all it's all data that adds to the pool that you know hundreds of or more of investigators are gathering on a regular basis and you know the more information we have to work from the more we're likely to find some answers or you know and be able to draw some conclusions and when hard sciences come around and start supplying some things that can answer the other end of the spectrum, then it'll be easy for us to sort of meet in the middle, so to speak. But it, it's, it's really tough for a lot of people because, you know, in this field, <laughs> I, I always say that uh, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, in large part for myself, because it's my interest. You know, this is, this is what I love to do. I love to pursue this, and I love to look for answers within this field. And the thing is, is that uh, I think that if you go in this field as an investigator or researcher and you're determined to try to prove something to people, you might as well be banging your head against a brick wall because you've got a really rough road 
to travel. If that happens by default of your work, then that's great. But if that's what you set out to do as your goal, you're, you're going to have it really tough. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying it's going to be a very frustrating journey. And, you know, there's the old adage that you'll never convince a skeptic and, and a believer doesn't need to be convinced. So really, I think you have to question as an individual why you're in the field and what you're doing it for. And the people, you know, I've, I've met people all over the world who do this stuff. And the ones that i found who are the most... Uh, balanced and happiest with what they're doing are the ones who who pursue it because they have a passion for it personally, and you know their information is is very balanced and it tends to be uh, you know pretty extensive. So overall, over time, I think that's where we'll get somewhere. I want to get to a couple questions from our audience, if you don't mind, because we always like to have them participating in this show. And this one comes yeah, sure. this one comes from Canadian Joe at hashtag spaced out radio on Twitter. And he is asking, David, do you believe that CERN could possibly open up doors to other dimensions? I, I do. Yeah. That, that's the short answer. I, I don't know a whole lot about CERN, obviously. I mean I don't worked on the site or anything. They've been very secretive with what they're doing. But, you know, from the, the research I have done on it and the implications uh, for what's going on there, I absolutely think that's a possibility. And, and I know for a fact that there are a lot of quantum scientists who are looking at this idea of opening, you know, that breach into another level of reality. So, wow. Yeah, I, I certainly think that's possible. You know what? I don't know, Dave, if it's just me or just the whole topic in general. But, but you know, this CERN thing really freaks me out to the point where I don't even want to talk about it on this show, even though I probably should, considering what our collective audience is. But that CERN really, really seems freaky to me. Does it, does it seem it, that way to you? It, it kind of does. It, it scares a lot of people. And, you know... Um, you sort of have this sense that they're tinkering with something that they don't really understand. It, it, it's a whole other level of, uh, you know, testing things out by mixing a few chemicals together in a test tube is one thing. <laughs> but what those guys are doing and the implications are mind-boggling, and they really are, uh, they're really rolling the dice with, with the potentials. And I got to tell you, man, if when I look at it, it, it's almost like to me that here they are. They always say, you know, that certain scientists want to play God. You know, the medical industry wants to play God with people. But these guys, I truly mm -hmm. believe, are playing God or playing with godly intentions. And I don't know. I'm just very uncomfortable with all of that, man. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of the sciences have come to that at this point. I mean, you referenced the medical industry, and there are certainly uh, so many experiments being done now with, with DNA and with uh, crossbreeding different species and, and genetic manipulation that, you know, it, it's at a whole level that most people aren't even aware of. And, and you start reading some of that stuff, man, and it's really freaky, too. Mm -hmm. How do you do it? As a researcher and a writer, how are you doing it? Do you stay away from certain topics, or do you just feel that there are certain ones that just don't interest you, like CERN? 
Um, I don't really stay away from anything. It's, I mean, there's a ton of stuff out there. So, you know, I obviously don't have time to devote myself to going in depth with everything that's out there. It just depends on what I'm researching and what theories I'm looking at at the time and so forth that, uh, you know, I'll tend to delve into different things. I've done a lot of work that uh, deals with this idea of uh, portals or window zones. And that was one of the reasons I looked at CERN and some of these other things that are similar to that. This whole this whole concept of other dimensions and entities existing there and possibly coming come over here, uh, that's pretty intriguing to me. Another question coming from our audience. This one comes from Claudia. And when she gets fired up, there will probably be about 60 or 70 coming from her. Claudia is asking... <laughs> And, and you know what? I love it because her questions are just brilliant. She comes from a very spiritual side, and she should get a big mention for that, Bill Cardwell. Claudia is asking, it seems our spirit is coming alive. It seems like we are aligning our spirit with the earthly body with intention, spirit and body joining as one. And the veil is easier to see through, and other dimensions are easier to see or feel to go through. Would you agree with this concept, David, in what you're researching in regards to dimensions and possible interdimensional travel? Yeah, I absolutely do. And I'll tell you, uh, my approach to a lot of this stuff, I, I don't always talk about it extensively in interviews just because of time constraints, but the thing that I pursued from the time I was very young, along with the paranormal or the supernatural, was studying shamanic traditions. And over the course of my life, I've been blessed to have some really incredible teachers from various cultures around the world. And one of the things I think that that has done for me was give me a unique perspective on all of these uh, supernatural topics because to these old cultures, these things are, are just an accepted part of reality. You know, when you talk about uh, spirits or Sasquatch or, or various other things, you know, these older traditions, they, they just kind of... They don't get shocked. They don't, you know, they don't deny it or, or anything. They all have uh, a place for it somewhere within their tradition and, and within their paradigm. So that's one of the things that really influenced me growing up was that, you know, this was all of this stuff was always just acceptable to me. Um, so from a, a shamanic perspective, when we look at what's happening on the planet now, I absolutely would say that we're coming more into alignment with this stuff. You know, the whole hubbaloo about 2012, a lot of that was nonsense. I had been down in, in Central and South America and talked with a lot of elders down there. And they said, you know, it wasn't really, it wasn't something apocalyptic or the end of the world or anything else. But uh, consistently what I heard was that we were moving into a period where those veils between the worlds were going to be a lot thinner. So there were going to be more encounters, more reports, uh, you know, more strange phenomena occurring. And I think that is absolutely what's happening. And, you know, when you look at what's going on in the world today, it's, it's really, we're at sort of two extremes because we have political unrest all over the world. You know, we have so much turmoil and so much fighting and, and everyone seems to have an agenda. And then on the other 
end of the spectrum, I, I'm seeing a lot of uh, traditional people who are more spiritually aligned who are kind of coming into balance amidst all the chaos. And that's a really serious dynamic that's unfolding, but I think we'll start to see more and more of that ha- has an obvious mm-hmm. point to the future as we move forward, especially over the next few years. David, do you think that one of the flaws that we have in the paranormal industry is that we refuse to look at the stories from the elders of the past? doesn't matter if they're Native American, First Nations up here, or cultures that are, say, close to the Mayans or the Egyptians. Do you think we look at the stories of the past and kind of brush them off a little bit too much rather than seeing what we could be learning towards finding the answers? Because back then, people were so much more spiritual than we are today because we're more of a scientific, technological society. And back then, they may have had those connections to find the answers that we are searching for at this time, but technology doesn't allow us to find it. Yeah, I definitely think there's a gap there at the very least. And there certainly are segments of of the field that ignore that and sort of brush it off. I mean, my gosh, like I said earlier, there's some people who who start ghost hunting and can't look at anything, you know, prior to the television shows appearing, which is, is just rather silly. So, you know, I think that if you really want to get to the root of some of these things that are going on, going back to the earliest sources you can find is always a good approach to take because there's so much that over the years has been proven to be scientifically valid that originally was thought to be folklore or just, you know, a, a quote, old wives tale or, or old native lore and so forth. And you can take really any culture, uh, any number of cultures from around the world and see where those things have been proven. Uh, a great example is uh, the Chinese concept of, of qi. Now, that can be found, again, in a lot of different places around the world. Uh, the Hawaiians talked about it, the Indian uh, East Indians talked about it. And, you know, the Chinese had a very elaborate system for, for God knows how many years that talked about the energy systems of the body, the energy, the human energy field, and how the human energy field could be utilized, uh, qi energy could be projected. And it wasn't until, oh, I think, uh, the late 90s, sometime that uh, science finally, you know, came out and said, hey, we, we figured out that the human body has its own energy field. <laughs> and I remember hearing this in a, in a seminar in the late 90s that, you know, some mainstream scientists had announced this, and it was it was sort of laughable. You know, on the one hand, it's like, okay, great, well, they finally accepted it. But on the other hand, you're like, my God, how many hundreds of years have you know these people over here been talking about this and nobody would listen? So, you know, that's just an example of the kind of things that really, again, we need to go back and closely examine a lot of these things, a lot of these traditions, and see how they can apply in modern terms and, and try to understand them, rather than just brushing them off and saying, well, no, 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 no. And, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, 
the natives said said this, but they were uh, that was just a metaphor, or they were just uh, you know it was just a, a storytelling and and so forth. And that again is another way to brush it off and say, well, there's really nothing to it. it it's just something they did for fun. But no, that's not the case. You know, a lot of these traditions, especially the Native American traditions, those were all oral traditions that were passed down uh, generation after generation. And uh, these accounts and these stories had to be learned in exact detail so that they could be passed down. And the way they were taught was important. The way they're told is very important. And there's a reason that they're told the way they are. So, yes, certainly, certainly we need to look at those things more closely. Let's start to make our shift into black-eyed children. This is something that absolutely interests me. I've never had an, an experience with one. I don't know anybody personally who has had an experience with one. However, there's a lot of people who have been absolutely frightened about this. What got you into investigating black-eyed kids? I heard the stories in the early days of the Internet because there was uh, the most famous count of all, Brian Bethel's story of an encounter with two of these kids was posted in an early online forum. And for those who haven't heard the story, if there's a, if there's anybody out there that hasn't heard it at this point, uh, Brian Bethel was a journalist in uh, Texas and he went one evening to write a check and drop it in a, an after hours mail slot. He was sitting in his car and two boys approached his vehicle. They sort of motion for him to put the window down. They wanted to talk to him and Bethel was uneasy. He, he didn't know why, but something just wasn't quite right. So he only rolled the window down just a little bit. And these two boys proceeded to pressure him to, to give them a ride. And they said that they wanted to see a movie, but they had left their money at home. So they needed to go back home and, and get their money. Well, Bethel had the, the presence of mind to glance over at the movie marquee and realize that uh, the last showing of this film was well underway. So it, it wasn't really adding up or making sense. And as he was sitting there, obviously reluctant, these kids uh, started to put more pressure on him. And they were saying things like, come on, mister, we're just a couple of kids. At around this point, the the boys looked up completely and made eye contact with him, and Bethel realized that they had solid black eyes. So that was sort of enough that put him over the edge. He threw the car in gear, uh, backed out, turned around, and, and got out of there. Now, as he was pulling out of the, the lot, he looked in his rearview mirror and realized these kids had vanished, which was another whole strange aspect of this encounter. And uh, he rushed away from there. So Bethel put his story up online, uh, mainly has a sort of cathartic, you know, expression. He, he didn't know what had happened. He just wanted to, to get it out there and, and see if anybody had experienced anything like that. And it turned out that some people had. There were some other people that chimed in immediately and said, oh, I've seen something like that, and this is what happened to me. So a few other accounts started to circulate. And... Bethel, Bethel actually backed off from this for a long time. He, at, at some point, he got so sick of hearing about it and, and having people contact him that he just shut everything down and wouldn't respond to any messages or anything about it. 
uh, his account, of course, set the, the modern precedent for these encounters. And from the time he posted his account uh, forward, there had just been tons of them that showed up online. Now, I had I had seen the stories early on and thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I didn't know if it was an urban legend or, you know, what to make of it. You couldn't reach Bethel. Uh, you couldn't reach a lot of the people that posted these accounts. So I just sort of filed it away, you know, in the filing cabinet of my mind, so to speak. And years later, I happened to meet someone who uh, started telling me about an experience that he had had. And it was it was very similar. It was with a pair of these kids. So it prompted me to to say, wow, I wonder if there are more of these. I started looking at various accounts and contacted people in my network and said, you know, put the word out. If you've heard anything like this or if you've talked to anybody like this, let me know. And eventually more and more of these encounters started to surface. And the more of them I found, the more intriguing it became because when you start looking at these accounts, they they have things in common with such a wide range of paranormal phenomena. It, it, it's a little bit mind-boggling. And if, for anyone who's who's read my book on the topic, you'll see that you know I did chapters comparing them to to demons, uh, to alien hybrids, to the Men in Black, and, and really you can make an argument that there are any number of these types of entities and. It, it's intriguing and also kind of uh, dumbfounding at the same time because it really leaves you scratching your head wondering exactly what the heck these things are. So when you started looking back, this gets to Mike's question in one of our chat rooms here. Were you surprised to find historic reports of this or was this just kind of out of the blue that these stories had happened? Um, I'm not sure. Was I surprised to find historic accounts? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Were there any, let me rephrase, pardon me. Were there any historic accounts like going back centuries of black eyed kids or was it something fairly recent? I see. You know, when I wrote the book, I really set out to find to find out if this was something that predated the internet at first, because like I said, I wasn't sure if this was something, if this was a modern creation or even just some kind of modern manifestation, if they were actual, you know, experiences. So uh, I set out to do a couple of things. One is to find more people to interview who have had the experiences so I could judge for myself uh, the veracity of what they were telling me. And two, to find out they were accounts that predated the internet and what I found actually were that there are a number of cases uh, I found accounts that predated the internet and even television and that made it really intriguing for me the key to that was that you have to remove the acronym and look for the key factors in the encounters um, black eyed kid BEK black eyed children these are the modern terms that arose when the stories begin to be posted on the internet. But if you look for the elements that occur in these encounters, you will find older cases. It's just that they're identified through the cultural lens of of the people or the time period during which they occurred. So, for instance, I found an account in the 1950s 
Now, this happened in a rural farming community. And, you know, they never once used the term black-eyed kid. However, the, the description of the entire account has to do with a kid with solid black eyes. And this, this frightening encounter this young man had with him, their determination of this encounter was that the young man had met the devil. So, you know, this is, this is a rural Christian community. Their interpretation is, uh, here's a, a, a kid with solid black eyes. This is something demonic that has come to, to plague their community. So that's, that's, that was the key to finding these older encounters. And really, the more I've probed into this, it's, you know, the more accounts you find. And I've had a lot of them sent to me, of course, since the book was published. And there are other researchers out there looking at the topic, too. And in, in any given field, a lot of these things tend to turn up. You know, there's a lot of people who dig into old UFO cases, for instance, and they have found a, a number of accounts that really closely fit the paradigm of these black-eyed children encounters. And, you know, they're from the, the 70s, the 60s, the, the, the 40s, you know, and before. And there are these what appear to be humans, but something's not quite right, and they have solid black eyes and so forth. And, of course, one of the most intriguing things I found was the Urfa Man. Now, the Urfa Man is a statue that was unearthed at Gobekli Tepe. Uh, this thing dates back to 13,500 years. It is the only statue of its kind found so far at Gobekli Tepe, which has just been a treasure trove for archaeologists. Most of the statues are various uh, relief carvings of animals and, and so forth, and uh, you know, a wide range of, of different things. But they found this one humanoid statue that is carved out of stone and the ancients whoever carved this thing took the time to go somewhere and to mine black obsidian for the eyes so they created this stone statue with these black obsidian eyes in it and it is you know by all intents and purposes the first representation of a black eyed being we only got about four minutes here before we got to go to break here, and I want to slip in a question from Canadian Joe at hashtag Spaced Out Radio on Twitter. And he is asking, David, do you believe then that black-eyed kids are alien-human hybrids or demonic entities? I think they're other dimensional beings. That's my short answer. <laughs> you know, it, it gets complex when you start talking about it beyond that, because then we can start looking at the idea that, you know, really what is something demonic or, or what is an alien hybrid? Is that our interpretation because of our cultural constructs? Uh, you know, where where's the crossover? There's a lot of people who are uh, very Christian in their faith who believe that uh, these aliens, these gray aliens and, and so forth that are coming through are actually a manifestation of something demonic. And one could certainly argue that. It, it, it gets pretty intriguing to start looking at it in that sense. But, but my short answer is that I think there's something that's coming through from another dimension of existence. 
So do you think that other dimension would be more of a darker side or maybe just an unknown side that we haven't fully investigated yet? Probably more so because the encounters are so rare. And let's face it, black-eyed children, that's a freaky story, man. It's a freaky, freaky thing to think about. It, it is, but it's also clearly an intentional guise that these entities, I don't believe for a moment that they're children, for instance, but they're intentionally adopting that guise for a specific reason. And I think one of the reasons is that what better way to catch someone off guard, you know, really, because as adults, we're pre-programmed to help a child, right? You know, if, if a little kid comes up to you and, and, and says, Mr., I, I need help, I'm lost, I need to make a phone call, your natural inclination as an adult is to help this child. But what happens when you're put in a situation where your natural predisposition is at war with all your body signals telling you something's wrong to get out of there? And, and that's what I hear time and time again from these people is that there is a, a psychological struggle that goes on when they're confronted with these kids because they feel like they're supposed to help by nature, but everything is telling them, get away, get away, get away. And this, this, this pinnacle of fear is created in these situations that, that causes, you know, the flight response to kick in and, and people run away as quick as they can. At least the accounts that we hear about, that's what happens. Have you ever seen them? No, I have not personally. So I always like to ask this question, and we can get more into it in hour number two with you. But do you ever wonder how you would react, Dave, if you had that encounter? Oh, I, I've wondered that just because I've interviewed so many witnesses who have had those encounters, you know. And we don't really know, do we, until we're in the situation. I mean, I've seen a lot of other strange things in my life. And... uh you know, no matter how much you, you train yourself and, and prepare for those moments, it's, it's tough to, uh, you know, react in the perfect way, I think. And, you know, it, it's like with uh, various kinds of sightings, there's always criticism. You know, people are always saying, why didn't, you get, why didn't the person get more pictures? And, you know, why, well, you saw a Sasquatch, why didn't you get a picture? And, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And it's easy to say that when you're distanced from it and you're not having the experience yourself and don't know all the conditions. And on that note, my friend, we are going to hop out for our first break of the night. David Weatherly is our guest, famed writer of cryptids. His website, twocrowsparanormal.blogspot.com. We'll be back with hour number two with David right after this. From coast to coast to coast, Blacklight Uncharted is taking on the paranormal across Canada. From ghostly hauntings to the UFOs flying above in conjunction with MUFON Canada, they're closely investigating what's going on in the northern skies and checking out the apparitions that walk among us. Check out our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. We want to know your thoughts, we want to hear your experiences, and we want you to share your stories. The answers are out there, and we intend to find them. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the space travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. 
Looking for news beyond the mainstream news? Head to spacedoutradio.com and check out the SOR Spacewire. This is Spaced Out Radio's Eric Markham, News Director for the SOR Spacewire. Daily, I will bring you intriguing stories and outlandish reports from what's going on around the world. UFO sightings, paranormal activity, conspiracies, alternative health, and so much more. And if you have news, email me at news at spacedoutradio.com. Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sight Lines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sight lines. All your information is 100% confidential, and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report, and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us, from radio commercials to banners and social media. Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com, where I, Vincent Zunza, and my super sleuth partner, Alexandra Sullivan, track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole, and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Oh, there's only one way to rock. Loud and proud. In high definition, Radio 702 Rocks, Las Vegas. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. SpacedOutRadio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. 
Each Spaced Out Radio Show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Welcome back to the second hour of Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you with us tonight. Tomorrow night on the program, we begin March with Harvey Kraft. We're going to be talking extraterrestrials and sci-fi. And this one has a little bit of a personal connotation. You see, on April 20th, 2015, when I had Harvey on for the first time, that's when the alien appeared at my window. And we're going to discuss that because it put Harvey on a completely different path. Tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern Time, spacedoutradio.com. We want to welcome in everyone listening in on the United Public Radio Network as we are live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you with us. We are also live in Las Vegas on Renegade Talk Radio, and we are live on Revolution Radio. Yes, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Plenty Potentiary. Plenty Potentiary is your password. Jeff, we're going to need a meaning for that in the Spreaker chat room, if you don't mind. But that is your password of the night, as Bill Cardwell sets it each and every night, right here on Spaced Out Radio. If you're a social media junkie, follow me on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio if you want to chat with us live during the show as well. You can also give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. We're also on Radio Guy. FM, talk stream live and on Stitcher and our website is spacedoutradio.com where we have a plethora of features for you including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for five bucks a month. It's a pleasure to welcome back for hour number two David Weatherly. He's only going to be with us for this hour only and we are learning about black-eyed kids tonight. David's website twocrowsparanormal.blogspot.com. David welcome back. Thanks man. Continuing on in the conversation, right before the break, I had asked you about how you, how would you react? And I always like this because for those who've never had an experience, and, and me personally, like you heard me just say, I've seen extraterrestrials with my own eyes, including one during this show with Harvey Kraft, who will be our guest tomorrow night, while I was broadcasting this show. I've seen Sasquatch. And one of the things that I'm always asked is, why didn't you get a picture? Why didn't you take some video if you had your iPhone on it? You could have proven something. It's not that easy when you have an experience, even if it is black-eyed kids, is it? Oh, no, not not at all, not at all. And, you know, I had an interesting experience uh, years ago in Arizona. 
No, I always keep a camera with me. I mean, we all have cell phones at hand now anyway, uh, but I always keep, uh, you know, an old school camera beside me too. It's a digital one now, but I was driving one day. Uh, I was on a dirt road, riding along my Jeep, came around a corner, and they, there in the middle of the road was a lynx, and it was just one of the most beautiful things you'd ever seen, this this huge lynx that was crouched down. He was watching something, you know, on the side of the road. And I, I stopped the Jeep. It didn't The Jeep didn't disturb him when I hit the brakes and stopped. I was far enough ahead, but I had a great view. Reached over and grabbed my camera off the seat. And by the time I headed up and had that little button clicked on so that it would come on, uh, this this animal had just leapt off the road and into the brush, and he was gone, and it was that quick. Now, that was an incredible, very clear sighting, but it was, you know, virtually impossible to get a, a picture of it. I mean, unless I'd had a, you know, a GoPro mounted and just filmed constantly everywhere I go, which I do do that sometimes now, but, uh, you know, it just it just wasn't possible. So, I'm not really that skeptical when a lot of these people tell me about their sightings and they say, you know, that they couldn't get their camera up in time. A lot of people are so confounded within the situation. They don't even think about pulling their cell phones out and, and, you know, getting to the camera and taking a picture. So, you know, it's, it's really difficult until you've been in some of those situations to understand that the mind begins to operate in a very different way when you're presented with something that is, uh, you know, outside of a normal person's spectrum. And uh, this is what happens, I think, in a lot of these encounters. Now, there's a whole other story I could tell about a Sasquatch sighting that, that revealed a lot to me early on, too, if you want to hear that. I'm always good for a Sasquatch story, my friend. Okay, so uh, this happened to me when I was in my late teens. Uh, I was in the Great Dismal Swamp. Now, that is on the border of North Carolina and Virginia, and uh, it's a natural national reserve now or something. So this is a, a really fascinating place. It is, it's not a swamp like the Louisiana Bayou. It's a swamp you can actually walk through uh, because there, there is some solid land, but there's a lot of, you know, swampy area, a lot of water, obviously, a lot of cypress. And I used to trek back into this thing a lot when I was young. And uh, I happened to go out with two friends of mine, one was a consummate outdoorsman. He, he was always uh, hunting and fishing and doing things, camping and, and things with his family. And uh, the other was comfortable in the outdoors. And we had trekked pretty, pretty far back into the swamp and a bit further back than we intended to. And uh, I, I was pulling on this thing. I knew my way through that swamp pretty, pretty good. And we started heading back, and it, it got... It got dark really fast. It was in the fall. It was a full moon, and the moon had come up, and we were trekking back. I, you know, I had to stop every once in a while and get bearings. And at one point, I stopped, and I was standing there and trying to get my bearings, and I just felt really strange. And something, I knew something was off, and I realized that there were no 
sounds all of a sudden. Uh, there were no crickets, no night birds, nothing making a sound. And as I was scanning uh, around, I suddenly focused on what I thought were a couple of trees close by. But I realized that uh, the tree on the right only went up about seven or eight feet and then it stopped. And as I was focusing in on that and really looking at it, uh, that's when I realized this was not a tree. It was something bipedal, very large. And it swung its right arm down, which had been holding a branch of the tree that it was standing next to. to. Uh, It made sort of a grunting sound, and it started to turn, and its uh, eyes were caught. We saw eye shine from the moonlight and got a real clear visual of this thing and it, it was it was a sasquatch and uh it, it turned and sort of huffed and and walked away and the three of us stood there watching this thing walk off into the swamp and you know the other two guys were really freaked out about this thing and i, I was just completely fascinated. I mean, this was, you know, this, this was amazing to me. And of course this was, um, the early 1980s. I didn't have any kind of digital camera or anything, you know, it didn't exist at that time. No cell phones. We got back to my house and I told these two guys, I said, look, I said, I don't want to talk about this yet. I want both of you guys to go home and, and write down everything you can remember about what we saw and make a sketch and, and let's talk about it tomorrow. So the next day, uh, my my one my one friend Jeff, you know, I got in touch with him, and uh, we talked, and he had a sketch, and you know, our our everything we had written down matched perfectly. Uh, the third guy wouldn't answer the phone, couldn't get a hold of him, and it, it got really frustrating. And you know, finally, I was like, well, you know, let's just go over to his house. Jumped in the car, went to this guy's house. And uh, he's sitting there, you know, in the living room watching television. There's the phone right next to him. And I'm like, hey, man, you want to answer the phone? And he's not really saying anything. And um, we got into an argument because I I said, you know, I I want to talk about what we saw last night. He said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, you know, what we saw in in the swamp. I I wasn't in the swamp. And he completely denied that he had even been with us the previous evening. And he got very excitable about this as we tried to pressure him about it. His father came walking into the room and he said, what are you guys yelling about? And we told his dad and his dad looked at his son and said, you were with them in the swamp last night. And at which point his, his son screamed at his father. So you don't know what you're talking about. And he stormed out of the house this guy would never talk about what had happened. He would never even admit that he had been with us. His mind could not comprehend what we had encountered so much to the point that he had completely locked it out of his consciousness. He really believed that he had not been with us. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just anger or denial. He, he really, he actually believed that he hadn't even been there. And that was his way of dealing with something that did not fit into his accepted paradigm. You know, Dave, I actually wrote my recent blog at spacedoutradio.com a couple of weeks ago about 
you know, what it felt like for me when I first came face to face with an extraterrestrial. And I always like to explain it this way. Imagine you're a child and every rule that your parents, grandparents, teachers, siblings have taught you over your life, you've written on this piece of paper. Then a stranger comes right up to you, says, give me that, rips it out of your hair, crumples it up and throws it in the garbage can. I mean, you're automatically feeling lost and not knowing what to do. And I remember that feeling specifically when I had my first extraterrestrial encounter with a lady named Samantha Mowat, who I think Mm -hmm. is, is probably the best kept secret in ufology. And I'll tell you, man, it was two o'clock in the afternoon in a forest, not a soul around. She knew they were there and we walked in there. And uh, the only thing I could say for about seven minutes is what the F is that? Because here I'm I'm face to face, 200 feet away with a 10 to 12 foot extraterrestrial being staring back at me. You know, that stuff isn't supposed to exist. So I understand that panic that your friend had. You know, it, right, it's traumatic. Open minded enough to actually to actually see it. I think there's a whole different contingent of people who are, are you know, so it, it's so difficult for them to even accept the possibility that the human mind blocks that out and and fills it in with something else. You know, the human mind doesn't like blank spots, so it, it will it will fill in those spaces with something it will fill the memory in with something and i think that a lot of times what happens is it will fill the mind in with something that that fits the paradigm somehow or or that you know stretches the boundaries a little bit but doesn't come to the full level of reality either i i was talking i was out in uh, arizona recently um down outside of phoenix and uh I was talking to my buddies, uh, they're called the Navajo Rangers, and they do a lot of work on the Navajo Reservation, as the name implies, but they specifically go out and research supernatural events. And one of the things that we ended up discussing, ironically, was that uh, we had, had both received a number of reports about people encountering giant jackrabbits. Now, we're talking about jackrabbits that are, are four and five feet tall. And uh, of course, you know, there's, we're pretty sure they're not actually out there running around in the desert, but people are seeing these things during a series of anomalous events. And what they're having happen is uh, they're, they're seeing strange lights in the sky or something else, and then their memory is perhaps replacing what they actually saw with something that sort of fits the environment, but it not exactly, you know, it stretches the boundaries a little bit. Uh, for instance, I interviewed one person who reported seeing uh, a line of three, uh, jackrabbits that were four feet tall going down the, the side of the road, pacing his car. Now, you know, there, there's not any four foot tall jackrabbits running around out there. He, he saw something, uh, that his consciousness had to, somehow start to come to terms with and you know what we get is this this mixture of scant memories of these weird lights in the sky and then these giant jackrabbits and then he got home oh and by the way he doesn't know where two hours went to 
So, you know, these cases are really fascinating and, and it brings in the psychological element that a lot of times is overlooked in these cases. Getting back to the black-eyed kids, we got a bunch of questions coming up here, as we'd like to say around here, a plethora of questions. And Gail and uh-huh. Spear are asking the same question here. Are there any reports of these black-eyed kids actually doing things to people that maybe cause them harm? In terms of actually uh, assaulting people or anything like that, no. However, it seems that when you look at the cases as a whole, that there are a lot of... uh, uh, the accounts, whenever, the closer someone is to one of these children, the more likely there are to be negative consequences. For instance, I have some cases where someone actually reached out and touched one of the children, and they report that these kids had very cold or, or clammy skin. Uh, one person reported that it felt like touching a dead person. And the aftermath was that these people became very ill uh, for a time. Uh, there are other people who have had encounters where one of the kids reached out and touched them, and the result is the same. It's, it's illness. Uh, sometimes there'll be a whole string of bad luck, uh, you know, uh, unfortunate things that are a little bit too much to ignore. Uh, you know, relationships ending, uh, job loss, uh, financial disasters, a whole string of things that occur in sequence right after the encounter and of course that along with the physical illness so it does seem that to some degree these things whatever they are are uh, toxic if you will mike is asking are these beings if interdimensional here by accident or for a reason perhaps a specific person I I think that it's intentional. I don't think they're coming here accidentally. And one of the things that I speculate on as a possibility is that they are coming here to feed. And I I need to explain that a little bit, obviously. (laughs) These encounters, when you look at them as a whole, they often follow the same set of uh, guidelines. These children appear... They do not immediately reveal that they have solid black eyes. Uh, Usually in the accounts, uh, the kids will show up and they'll be looking down at their shoes or at the ground or something so that they're not making eye contact. It seems very calculated to me how these encounters unfold. And in each case, the person is initially uh, uneasy, which quickly goes to outright nervousness, and as that nervousness begins to climb and the kids begin to insist on things, in the course of that, they'll make eye contact with the victim and that fear will really spike within the victim and uh, they'll, they'll run away. The flight response will kick in. And at that point, these kids disappear. They just suddenly vanish. Now, when you see case after case, 
where this occurs, you have to look at what the potentials are and what the possibilities are. Why, why would they come and create that dynamic over and over and over again? And one of the things I default back to is if we look at it through the shamanic lens and understand that emotions are energy and, and fear is a pretty potent energy, uh, you know, some traditions say, uh, a lot of shamanic traditions say that there are entities who feed on those types of emotions. So really, if we take it in those terms and think, okay, if these things somehow feed on that type of energy, man, what better way to cause a tremendous spike of, of <laughs> fear and, and psychological turmoil than the scenario that they create? And, you know, when that peak of fear is reached, that they're gone. It's as if mission completed. They did what they came to do. I would love it if you could describe an encounter with black-eyed kids that you have investigated. There was a uh, a gentleman that I interviewed, and this to me is, is one of the creepiest encounters and, and I'll explain why uh, he's I'm going to give Texas a bad rep for these things tonight because this guy was in Texas too um, but his account was he, he lived in a um, he lived in a small home he came home one day and he had been to the grocery store he walked up to his front door and his front door literally only had you know, like three steps that led up to the door. There was nothing in his yard. He didn't have any trees or anything like that. As he reaches the front door and he has grocery bags in his hand, he reaches up, he turns the handle and opens the door. As he's doing that, he, he realizes all of a sudden that there's a kid standing on the ground next to the steps. This this kid just suddenly appeared there. And, of course, this startles him. He he turns and looks at this kid, uh, who he described as being a, a young teenager. And this kid looks at this man and says, is it food time? He didn't even know how to respond. I mean, that, that's not normal language, obviously. And it was, to him, kind of a chilling statement. Uh, he's just sort of looking at this kid and... Uh, this kid repeats the phrase. He says, I, I think it's food time. You should invite me in. Now, as this is occurring, the the front door is standing open, and this gentleman had a trained guard dog that he had raised from a pup. He hears this dog in the back of the house barking, and he, he hears it coming towards the front door. Now, his front door opens onto a hallway that leads straight towards the back of the house. It's solid wood floors. He sort of steals a glance into the, the hallway and sees his dog turn the corner at, at full charge, barreling towards the front door. This dog came all the way almost to the front door and then it tried to put the brakes on and, and Dave this becomes like a Scooby-Doo moment this dog is trying to backpedal all of a sudden literally falls over itself out the door uh, tumbles over quickly jumps back up tail between its legs whimpering running back in the house 
that was enough for this guy. He he quickly ran in the door himself, slammed the door, ran around to the next room and, and peered out the blinds to see what this kid was doing. The kid had vanished. He was completely gone. Not a sign of him. The dog ended up under the bed, would not come out. And this this guy literally had to drag this dog out eventually to try to get it to go outside. It would not go out through the front door. He could only get it to go out the back door to use the bathroom, at which point the dog would quickly run back in the house. And for the longest time, it would just stay hidden under the... He had to feed it for a while where it was just... The dog was just staying under the bed. This dog was terrified. This dog went from killing rattlesnakes to suddenly being terrified and in a complete, completely cowardly dog just from the experience of being in the energy field of this kid. And, you know, that to me, that's one of the, the more important encounters that I've collected to me because we had the presence of an animal. And animals, of course, have a whole different range of senses. And, you know, to see the responses that were created by this kid within this animal, that's, that's pretty stunning. Always have a dog around when these things are around. Have we ever had a, have we ever had any encounters where if the kids are not invited in that they try to make their way in anyways? No. Not not that I have ever, you know, interviewed or I don't know if I've even read one like that. They they don't they need that invitation. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that there are so many correlations with other types of phenomena with these kids. Well, that's one that falls within the realm of the demonic. Or we could even go back to to ancient vampire lore where this negative entity can't cross the threshold unless it's invited in. Uh, That's true in classical demonology, too. A demon can't just intrude. It needs to be uh, invited somehow. And... This is what we see in the, in the cases with these kids. They're seeking an invitation. They're they're trying to get someone to invite them in. And we use a whole wide range of of uh, things to try to persuade people to do that. But you know, I don't have any accounts of them, uh, you know, bursting through a door, breaking in a window, or anything like that. And they don't need to, quite frankly, from the, you know, from the cases that I see, they, they create these scenarios without ever coming to the house. Do we know of any incidences, David, where somebody has maybe accidentally invited them in? There's one in the book um, that was one of the few that I was able to personally investigate and interview the people, and that I was allowed to publish. And that's one of the key phrases here, because I do have oh, a small handful of encounters that the that literally the people have, have you know agreed to relate their account to me if I did not publish it, even under uh, even changing their names or anything. They just they didn't want it out there at all. The account that is in the book involves a 10-year-old boy who was in the backseat of his mother's vehicle. And uh, the the story's kind of long. I'll, I'll try to tell you a short version of it. Uh, this woman 
was driving home. She had her 10-year-old son in the back seat of her car, and she stopped at a convenience store, left the engine running, left the child in the car. It, it's it's a quiet, you know, small town, and something she's done a million times. And she runs in, she grabs her bread and milk or whatever, and she comes back out on autopilot. You know, a lot of us do that. She jumps in the vehicle, uh, looks in the rearview mirror, and and you know, is, is putting the car in gear or whatever. And, and when she looks in the rearview mirror, staring back at her are a pair of black eyes. And there is a black-eyed child sitting in the middle of the back seat directly beside her son, uh, so close that he, he's, you know, up against him physically. And she's immediately terrified. She She jumps out of the vehicle. She yanks her son out of the back and rushes back in the store. Uh, the clerk runs outside because he thinks that something's going on, you know, a carjacking or something. He doesn't see anything. And she's so terrified that she she won't tell him what she experienced. She uh, calls her husband and says, you know, you need to come up here right now. Uh, gets him to come up without telling him what's occurred and insists on switching vehicles with him. So she jumps in his vehicle and drives home with the son. And uh, he takes her vehicle, heads her home, blacks out, and gets in a wreck. The last thing he remembered was a foul odor in the vehicle. Uh, so the husband is taken to the hospital and uh, kept for observation. Uh, he turns out to be okay, and he, he gets released. Uh, he can't explain what happened, you know, why he why he wrecked the vehicle or anything, other than this weird odor that he's, he... Uh, noticed uh, the son, the 10 year old son who had been in such close proximity to the boy uh, became sick and he was in fact uh, sick for quite some time. The, the parents took him to the doctors who could not explain what was wrong because every time they came up with a diagnosis, his symptoms changed. So they, they thought at first, they thought at one point he had, uh, a ruptured appendix, and they were going to operate, and then the, the symptoms shifted, and they said, "Oh no, he's got he's got the measles because he's broken out. Uh, we'll treat that, and, and then those go away." And they said, "No, it's some kind of flu virus," and and they just they couldn't they couldn't figure out what to do with this kid. So you know, the parents ended up saying, "We're just we're taking him home. We'll bring him back, you know, if if it gets worse, but we'll treat it like the flu." And uh, they ended up calling friends and, and neighbors and starting to hold a prayer visual around this kid. And eventually, eventually he recovered. But again, this is another case where someone's in close proximity with one of these kids and develops a, a terrible physical illness. These black eyed kids, are they looking more like teenagers or youngsters? What are they wearing? Are they Caucasian? Are they different skin tone? Yeah, they're usually they're usually described as either being Caucasian, very pale skinned and pasty, or uh, sometimes they're described as being uh, sort of Mediterranean looking in uh, skin tone, so with an olive uh, skin tone and so forth. And that's curious because those are things that they have in common with the men in black. As far as age, the most common. Uh, most common estimate you hear is anywhere from uh, 10 to 13 or 14. So, 
you know, it's kind of tough. Some people, particularly if someone doesn't have kids, are not always real good at estimating the child's age. But in general, we're hearing early teens is what is most common. As far as dress, it's kind of split down the middle. You hear a lot of descriptions that say they're wearing uh, very nondescript clothes. Of course, the infamous hoodie that a lot of them wear, easily in tones of of gray or you know drab colors, and then sometimes you'll hear that they're wearing clothes that appear to be secondhand or hand-me-down uh, that don't quite fit right. They're either too baggy or loose or whatnot. And uh, then there's a, a percentage of the sightings that the people describe them as dressed in what appear to be handmade clothing. Uh, sometimes, you know, I'll hear descriptions like, well, they, they look like they were Amish uh, or, you know, they look like they were wearing old-fashioned clothes uh, that were were hand-sewn. So a little bit of variation there that makes it uh, kind of curious. <laughs> you mentioned that they seem to have the resemblance of a younger version of a men in black. Do you think there is a tie between the two? Well, there are certainly some curious similarities. Uh, for instance, there's electronic phenomena that's associated with the kids. Uh, there is uh, there are a number of incidents where security cameras have been present when these kids showed up, and the cameras mysteriously malfunction, or there'll be you know, glitches in the tape, or the system will shut itself down, and. There's also the the odd language, which is something that is common in men in black encounters. It's as if they don't quite understand uh, elements of our modern world. And, uh, you know, there's a, a, an incident um, where a pair of these kids showed up. And they always knock. They never use doorbells. There's always this long, constant rapping that they, you know, they, they don't stop knocking. It's not a quick, you know rap three times and wait for an answer or anything. They just start knocking, and they don't stop until the person comes to the door. And uh, there was an incident where a woman was, uh, she was working on a project in her home, and she was you know, she was sorting some papers or something, and she was literally just a couple of moments from being done when someone started knocking on the door. And she just wanted to finish the, these last few pieces of paper, but she said the knocking was so... Uh, irritating that she she threw down what she was doing and went to the door because it was so insistent. She flung the door open and, and these kids are on the you know outside of her house and uh, she you know she stepped out out the door and used some colorful language and said why didn't you use the blank blank doorbell and she pointed at the doorbell and you know these kids they look at her and they look at the little lighted button you know as if they don't know what it is. And then they look back at her, and this goes on a couple of different times. And she said that she knew the way they were acting, that they really had no idea what she was talking about. Now, you know, who doesn't know what a doorbell is in this day and age? Uh, but obviously these kids had no clue what she was talking about. Hmm. So in your opinion, do you think black-eyed kids are interdimensional, maybe shapeshifters? Well, I certainly think they're able to, uh, at the least, create a certain perception 
of appearance. Now, whether they're actually physically shape-shifting or uh, somehow creating this dynamic, it's, it's difficult to say. Uh, you know, we can go into looking at the lore of a lot of different types of interdimensional entities that are able to shapeshift. Uh, you know, I know that there are some theories out there that a lot of these things, for instance, are jinn. And the jinn are, are able to do a wide range of things, including shapeshift. And they certainly, they certainly have a lot in common, again, with these black-eyed jinn encounters. Mm. Do they, when they disappear, leave any sort of odor, footprint, or any type of fingerprint that they have left? This is a question from Gail in our SOR Space Travelers Club for you, David. It hasn't really been any physical evidence in, in those terms. But again, you know, most of the time these people don't have the presence of mind to look for those types of things. But we're also talking about uh, circumstances where you know they're not going to leave a footprint, for instance, a footprint, for instance, on a wooden or concrete step, uh, or in the the hallway of a, an apartment building. So it's tough to look for those kind of things. You don't really hear much in terms of the kids touching things. You know they usually have their hands in their pockets or down by their sides. So it's almost as if they avoid a lot of contact. They're just sort of there as a presence. In those terms, no, there's really not much in, in the way of that. Has anybody ever got a photograph, a credible photograph, of what these kids look like? You know, I get asked that all the time. And and to tell you the truth, Dave, I'm not sure, you know, how could you say there was a completely credible photograph? Because the difficulty is that it's so daggone easy now to Photoshop that simple effect. And, you know, to compound it, there are these theatrical lenses that are available now. There are full square lenses, uh, you know, to portray a solid black eye. So I I don't know. I haven't put a lot of time and effort into looking for photographs. I get them all the time, but you know, how do you prove absolutely that? Yeah, this is a genuine photograph. Unless you were there and took the photograph yourself and had the experience yourself. I think that's a really tough thing. I know that, in almost all of these encounters, I don't think I've ever, um, just trying to think, I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone who had an encounter and photographed these kids because they're, they're just too terrified in the moment to even consider doing something like that. That would be interesting to see. I, I uh, That one would get my curiosity up. You know, it is you know, for all the Photoshop and CGI that we see yeah. out there, there's got to be one, David, that you just makes you think this could be the real thing. Have you ever come across a photograph that may be that one? Well, you know, there was one that was really intriguing from uh, from several years ago, but it, it turned out to be a very sad story. There was a photograph of a kid uh, partially in the water and holding on to, you know, a, a branch or a log or something. And uh, very clearly, this kid had, had what appeared to be black eyes. And uh, the reality of the story turned out to be quite sad because it was a victim of, uh, gosh, it's been so long now. Um, I want to say maybe it was Indonesia or something, but it was uh, it was a victim of a tragedy. 
and this child had been severely injured and had uh, a severe concussion and was bleed and, and had bleeding within the the head uh, that was causing blood to pool in the eyes and cause and effect of, of you know having solid black eyes and and the child uh, sadly did not survive because of the severity of the injury. You know, you talk to medical professionals, and they'll tell you that uh, someone with solid black eyes would essentially be blind. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's there's no way for the, the uh, receptors in the eyes to work correctly for for vision. So this is not this is not something that is a genetic anomaly or anything either. That we're gonna you know suddenly learn. Well, there's people that are born with solid black eyes, and I get I get those kind of things all the time too. I get people telling me, "Well, I was born with black eyes, or I had black eyes," and you know they'll they'll send me a picture and they no, you can see the pupil and you can see the whites of the eyes, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, mm-hmm. you know the entire sclera is, is solid black, just like the infamous gray aliens. My wife and I used to laugh when our son was just born because he actually had such dark blue eyes that they actually looked black. When his pupils were dilated, his eyes looked black. And it was kind of trippy in a way. And we were like, oh, my God, we gave birth to a a black-eyed kid, you know, and we'd laugh about it, (laughs) you know. But, you know, getting to the point, though, of cameras, Spear would like to know, and I think this adds on perfectly, have we ever caught any security footage of black-eyed kids walking up to people. No. Mm-mm. Now, I mentioned that earlier. There are a few intriguing encounters, for instance, with uh, security personnel at, at various buildings and so forth, and they've had encounters, but when they've gone back to the security footage, uh, it, it either, you know, the, the system had shut down or there was a a glitch in the tapes where they just weren't running for that uh, period when the encounter unfolded and, and whatnot. It's, it's a whole part of the, you know, what I call in general electronic interference that is often associated with these kids, just like men in black cases, you know, phone static, uh, weird, weird responses from telephones, cell phones, uh, televisions and so forth that occur around some of these encounters. Gail has a question, and she is asking, David, what do you think would happen if you grabbed on and held onto a black-eyed kid until the authorities arrived? Well, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, the people that have reported touching them, you know, so that they couldn't couldn't maintain contact with these kids um, because of the way it it felt and, and... because of what, it, of what it caused in them. So, tough question to answer. I, I don't know that anyone would be able to hold on to one of them for that long a period of time. It'd be kind of freaky if they actually disappeared right while you had a, a hold of them. That's for sure. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that if that doesn't soil the old shorts, I don't know what would. But let's get to Claudia's question here. And Claudia is asking, David, do you think that maybe black-eyed children could be the start of a zombie generation? I think we're already seeing a zombie generation. <laughs> you look at how many people are glued to their cell phones and social media and everything else, you know. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, there's the whole, 
alien invasion hypothesis too that it's possible uh, that some other race could be coming in and you know what better way to take over so to speak than to slowly infiltrate a population you know by uh, inserting hybrids and you know or, or people who appear to be just like us it's it's kind of it gets into creepy territory. Zombie, you know, implies a whole different thing, so that's tough to say. But uh, I, I don't know if I answered that question. Maybe I did, but you know, in, in short, no, I, I don't think that that's what they're here doing. Have you found a pattern, David, in these sightings? You know, there's very few patterns, and that's one of the things that actually intrigued me about it, Dave, because as an investigator, one of the first things I look for when I get a pool of, of encounters is, okay, what ties these together? And, you know, to tell you the truth, when I started looking at these initially, um, and this was in the in the early 2000s, I was pretty sure that I was going to find a correlation with UFO sites. And I did not. Uh, there were very, very few uh, sightings where there would be, you know, a UFO sighting anywhere close to the encounter or time period of the encounter. So when I really dug in, once I had a big pool of these things and started trying to find the patterns, uh, that was confounding because we're talking about a wide range of uh, people who are victims of these uh, encounters from, you know, a, a wide range of ages, uh, ethnic background, spiritual belief, uh, and, and everything else in between. The one pattern I did find that was kind of curious was that there are an unusual number of these encounters uh, that are reported by people who are authority figures. So uh, law enforcement military personnel, government workers uh, seem to report a lot of these. And that's kind of curious. Now, a lot of those jobs are really high stress, you know, law enforcement, military. A lot of these people are, are under jobs with a lot of pressure, so you have to consider whether that factors in somehow. But that is one of the only patterns that I found in the accounts. You would think that these black-eyed kid sightings would have maybe some sort of pattern, maybe around the paranormal, or like you said, UFOs. Are these happening to people who've relatively never had an experience, Dave? Or are these happening to experiencers, much like a Men in Black sighting would happen? No, a large portion of these people, the greater portion of these people, I would say, haven't had any other uh, paranormal type of experiences at all. And that's, that's another common question I ask, but uh, it, not really. Uh, a small percentage, there are, of course, has the pool of accounts has expanded more and more. I, I will say that our percentage of these accounts that come from people who are experiencers, and by that I mean who are experiencing what they consider to be extraterrestrial phenomena. Uh, abductees, uh, there's a, a pool of people who are abductees that report uh, encounters or sightings with these black-eyed children. And uh, they 
they're almost a, a, a complete subcategory of these accounts because for the most part, they consider them to be human alien hybrids. And, uh, you know, some of these accounts will say that they believe uh, these are, are offspring from their, you know, from their genes because they were abducted and manipulated and used in some kind of experimentation. So and that little subset of the, those accounts are the only ones you find that are, are kind of unique and are not as filled with, with fear as the other uh, larger section of, of Black Hat Kid Encounters. We only got about seven minutes, six minutes left with you, and I want to absolutely go 180 and change gears here because you wrote a book called Haunted Toys. That's Ross. right. And I have to tell you, I mean, I got three kids, man, and thank God none <laughs> of them have had haunted toys, or at least haunted that I know of as of yet. With my luck, as soon as I finish up here, you know, I'm going to have my son's police cars come racing into the room. How fun was this to write? Oh, it was great. It was really great. Uh, my co-author is, is Ross Allison, and uh, we both, you know, have a real love of, of ghost stories and, and all things haunted. And we had talked about doing a project together for some time and kicked around a couple of different ideas. We, we were on track to do something completely different, and then somehow uh, this whole thing, well, I, I brought up haunted dolls. Uh, which is a whole, uh, it's a whole section of the book, and and that's a really creepy and intriguing area to me. And uh, we started kind of bannering this back and forth. And Ross said, "What about haunted toys?" And in general, I was like, "Yeah, that's a great idea. Nobody's done that." And uh, you know, we came up with a list and and put this book out. And I, I'm really pleased with how it came out. It's got a lot of really cool graphics in it that uh, my designer came up with and, and you know played around with and, and the stories are just uh, <laughs> you know there's some there's some great stuff in here we we cover of course a lot of haunted dolls uh, some sites that are associated with haunted toys um, we cover some games and, and a few other things and uh, it was a lot of fun to write it really was what's the most haunted toy you encountered Oh, gosh. Uh, it, it would have to be one of the dolls. I'd say uh, maybe Robert the doll that's in Key West, Florida. Uh, of course, everybody knows Annabelle, you know, that's held in the Warren Museum because it's been a couple of movies made about her at this point, which, which you know, for people who only know about Annabelle from the movies, uh, you'd be surprised to find out that the doll was nothing like the one in the movies. The doll is actually a Raggedy Ann doll. Uh, but the you know the the real stories about Annabelle are really creepy. The the Robert the doll stories are the most intriguing because you know we're going back to a lot of history with this particular doll and uh, so many accounts. He he's currently in the, the Martello Museum in Key West and. That museum, on a regular basis, gets letters of apology to Robert because the lore says that in order you have to ask permission, you have to ask his permission to take his photograph, and if you don't, then ill fortune will befall you. So the museum, on a regular basis, gets letters of apology 
from people who came in there, laughed at Robert, thought it was a joke, took a picture, took a selfie, whatever, and then experienced a whole string of bad luck. And, you know, they attribute that to, you know, disrespecting this doll that has so much energy built up over it. And, you know, they send these letters and, and hope that Robert will lift the curse or lift what's plaguing them away. And a lot of people do report that once they apologize and feel like they've received that apology, then there are a lot, you know, changes and it's not, it's not filled with misfortune anymore. So it's it's a pretty intriguing story, and and the whole we could do a whole show almost on Robert. There's so much to his story, you know. And there's all these accounts of people uh, hearing him run around upstairs in the house and uh, seeing him. You know, kids would tell stories about seeing Robert the doll sitting in a chair uh, in the upper floor of this house, looking down in the street at them and uh, rocking in the chair by himself and things like this. So it, it's really uh, kind of classic creepy doll territory. Yeah, dolls freak me out, man. I can honestly say that. And mannequins, too. So you need a, you need a copy of the book, then. Oh, I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. That that one would that one would absolutely freak me out, my friend. We only got about ninety seconds with you, and Dave, it, it's been an absolute pleasure. But I would love to get you back on in April or something like that to talk about uh, Robert the Doll and haunted toys. I think we could do an entire show just on that. Hey, let's do it, man. I'll get Ross to come on with me, and we'll do a whole show on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That would be a lot of fun. I'll hook up with you on that in the meantime. So what are you working on these days looking towards the spring and summer of 2017? Uh, there's actually a revised edition coming out this year of Black Eyed Children because the book is uh, five years old now. There is uh, my Sasquatch series, Wood Not Spying 2, will be out this year. I've got a DVD coming out on an investigation that Dave Spinks and I did in Point Pleasant. West Virginia, man. You talk about an area filled with anomalous, weird stuff. Uh, this is volume one of, uh, of this series. That should be out in April. And uh, he and I work together a lot with um, what we call Society of the Supernatural. We do a lot of live stream events. We've got a YouTube channel. Everybody should check that out. There's some incredible investigative footage on there and we have sean austin who joins us sometime uh, he used to be on the demon files mm-hmm. and uh, we just get some incredible results from some of these locations that we do um oh gosh i've got a whole bunch of events some other book projects uh, a couple of other dvd projects it's a really busy year for me already mm-hmm. and uh, lots more coming this year and next year and don't forget, David's website is twocrowsparanormal.blogspot.com. David, I want to say thank you for being on Spaced Out Radio tonight. We're going to get you back on in April, at the end of April, if you have time, and we're going to make that happen. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I look forward to it. So thank you so much for being with us, my friend. Hey, thanks, David. It's been a pleasure. David Weatherly on Spaced Out Radio, and David website, twocrowsparanormal.blogspot.com. Go check it out. He's an incredible author. Pick up his books as well. You're listening to Space Out Radio. Eric Cooper will join me next as we continue the cryptid talk right after this. The SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. 
If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines, your answers are a click away. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. Hi there. I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with Cop. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Witkowski's Strange Days. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. Have you checked out the SOR Spacewire at spacedoutradio.com yet? Every day we post the latest stories regarding the weird, strange, and completely unbelievable. From cryptid and UFO sightings to the conspiracy world, we tackle it all. Hi there, I'm Eric Markham, Space Out Radio's news director for the SOR Spacewire. And if you have a story, I want to hear it. Email me at news at spaceoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, 
weekly and monthly packages to play on the radio or our website including social media from commercial spots to banners we have it all check out our competitive pricing today don't have time to listen to spaced out radio live wherever you are the car the office the shower or even if you're traveling we're right here for you each spaced out radio show can be found on itunes tune in and on our youtube channel spaced out radio show it's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows for more information just head over to our website spacedoutradio.com and tune in to us today You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you'd join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the final hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you with us. Tomorrow night on the program, Harvey Kraft will join us. We're going to talk about sci-fi and extraterrestrials. And there's an intriguing story about this. Harvey is a Buddha theologist but he changed after an encounter right here on spaced out radio april 20th 2015 when an extraterrestrial appeared at my window during the show and we're going to get into all of that mrs spaced out radio jolene is also going to join us for a little bit on that end as well at the beginning of the show because i want you guys to hear the full story with the crew that was there 9 p.m pacific midnight eastern time spacedoutradio.com is where it all gets going we want to welcome in everyone listening in on the united public radio network live on 107.7 fm in new orleans and over 160 countries around the world good to have you with us 
We are live in Las Vegas on Renegade Talk Radio. We are also live on Revolution Radio. The Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Plenty Potentiary. Plenty Potentiary is your password. So make sure you use it wisely, Space Travelers, because that is your password for tonight. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio to play along during the show as well, because I'll get to your questions and comments in there. You can also give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. Follow us on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. And we're also on RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, as well as Stitcher. So make sure you join us at any of these places. Our website, SpacedOutRadio.com, where we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for just $5 a month. We are joined in hour number three by Eric Cooper from Forest Moon Paranormal and S4. Can't call it E-squared anymore. I know it. How you doing? How's the beard? It's doing good. Excellent. It's cold. We woke up to two inches of snow this morning, and it's gone. Must be nice. Must be nice. <sighs> it was Always spring with you here. Snowing again here today, <laughs> a nice balmy minus 16 degrees Celsius. It was nice. I swear the temperature in the afternoon dropped from about minus 2, minus 3 to minus 16 within like half an hour. It was cold, man. It got cold real quick up here. Oh, I hear you. Oh, man. Definitely hear you. Anyhow, I just want to remind our listeners, uh, during the break, I was actually talking to David Weatherly. We've already booked him for April 25th to come on back to talk about Haunted Toys and Robert the Doll. That's going to be a good show. That's going to be a really good show, man. He loved what we did. You know, and David was the guy who hit me up for an interview on social media. He's like, dude, we got to do this. And I'm like, yeah, we do. And, man, is he knowledgeable. Absolutely knowledgeable. It was great. Talking haunted toys, huh? Haunted toys. You know? <laughs> haunted toys. Those things scare yeah. me, man. Scare me. You know? The, the, the thing is in closets. Oh. Closets don't scare me as much as dolls. You know, I remember, you know, going back to it, Eric. The first time, or the second time, pardon me, I went on a on a a ghost hunt with Chronicles of the Unknown, Glenn Ferguson, Derek White, Sky Cloud, Troy Ryan, and Mike Morin. We went up to this museum where they have Mandy, the haunted doll, up here in a place called Quinell in British Columbia. And Mandy was eerie. Absolutely eerie. Cracked face. She was about a hundred and 110, 120 years old, real beat-up porcelain doll. So they're setting up their cameras and doing everything, and I go just kind of meander around because, well, 
you know, I'm not really a part of their filming crew, and I kind of wanted to get a feel for this place. So I walk past this soldier, this mannequin wearing a soldier's outfit, and I'm a big military buff. I love everything about the military. The one thing that I, I will regret my entire life is I didn't get the opportunity to serve. So thank you for doing that down in the Army. And I know you hate compliments like that, but I'm going to give you one. And <laughs> and anyhow, I walked past this mannequin, and it just kind of looked freaky. And I walked past it, and on the wall they had this beautiful hand-stitched hand uh, patch quilt. And it was probably 15 feet by... 20 feet, massive, massive quilt. And it was of the town of Quinnell back in the early 1900s. Anyways, as I'm staring at this quilt, I swear out of the corner of my eye, I see this mannequin leaning over and staring at me. And of mm. course, I, I'm the only one in this section of the museum. I kind of jumped back because it startled me. And, of course, you quickly look, and the mannequin's standing there. And so after that, I went up to the mannequin like three different times, and I was whispering right in its ear, I know you're in there. I saw you. I know you're in there. I know you can hear me. And I'm just going off like this, right? So the guys were staying at my place, and I, and I said to them when we got back, I said, guys, you need in your investigation to talk to this mannequin. This mannequin has it. So they took my word for it. The next night, I'm on the show, and we're doing a live, and I know you tuned into that one. We were doing the live ghost hunt while, while they were doing their ghost hunt. They were live on the air with us. And mm -hmm. it was really cool because they went up to the mannequin, and, and Glenn Ferguson is a retired soldier from the British Army. And he's seen combat in Iraq during the first Gulf War. Long story mm -hmm. short, Glenn walks up to the mannequin and he starts talking to him as a soldier. And Glenn, I believe, was a captain. So he starts talking to him via rank, saying, I'm a captain and gave him his service number and everything. Next thing they know, mm -hmm. and it's the team and the museum curator. There's only five people in the building, and they're all standing around this mannequin. Next thing they know, about 100 feet away, the emergency exit door flies open and flies closed. This, ma this mannequin didn't like being outranked by Glenn, and he took off and went <laughs> running out the door. Uh -huh. I love uh, I that, that story. I love that story. <laughs> and I remember them coming on the air saying, you know what, Dave, you were right. <laughs> that, that there was something hiding inside that mannequin. But the reason, why I bring, the reason why I bring that story up, Eric, is it's weird what can be haunted. Any, anything can be a vessel. Uh, and, and that's why uh, anytime we have a case, for example, I always ask the client, hey, you know, have you... Have you when this started, have you purchased anything, any kind of antique furniture or anything, did you bring anything into your home that could have carried something into it? So anything can be a vessel. 
Um, and, and yeah, I gotta say, yeah, I, I can hear it now. Private Cassidy has left the building. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, scared of the captain. Um, Why do you think <laughs> objects such as toys, dolls, in this case, military clothing, has some form of energy attachment to it? I think, and it's only theory, but I think, okay, in the case of that, um, a military spirit, or the spirit of a soldier, uh, is going to be more comfortable occupying um, a mannequin, I'm, as, if I heard you right, uh, was wearing military gear. Or the spirit could have been attached to the military gear. Um, in the case of toys, I don't know. Uh, Maybe that particular toy was in in the room when that person passed. Um, Just conjecture, though. And I can understand that, and I can can believe that. But do do you think it has anything to do, Eric, with the idea that we as humans get such an emotional attachment to objects to frivolous things like i look around Mm -hmm. my my room here okay my studio here what would i be attached to i would be attached to my guns and roses appetite for destruction album that's never been opened my guitars you know oh goodness there's a number of things you know i have a box right behind me in my storage room that has all of my hockey jerseys in it from when I was my son's age, you know, and I look at things like that and I think, you know, maybe just maybe that's the reason why we get attached is because we hold on to these mementos and a military uniform would be a major memento in someone's life, especially a, a world war veteran. Mm-hmm. And completely agree. And uh, think of it like energy. Whatever you put your most energy into. Um, I'm trying to think of an example here, but uh, you grew up and you had a stuffed animal, and you still got that stuffed animal. You carried that stuffed animal with you everywhere you went. That's got the most energy from you know you hanging on to it your entire life or whatever. Um, antique furniture, perfect example. Um, you know you. You, you had a dresser, for example, and you had it your entire life. It moved with you, and uh, or it got carried on from, you know, your grandmother or whatever. And you've used this your entire life, and you die, and you're attached to it. Um, I, I think a dresser is probably a bad example, but you, you know what I mean. <laughs> whatever you've, you've held on to for the most of your life that you're attached to. Uh, it's got the most energy that you put into it. It's a very interesting theory that we can attach ourselves in the afterlife to that. Because I have to tell you, right before when I was a kid, I was 11 years old, I, I went into Children's Hospital because I have a, to this day, doctors have never been able to figure out the issue I had with my legs and my muscles back when I was a kid. 
and I spent two weeks in Children's Hospital where I was pretty much treated like a guinea pig in a good way because they do amazing work at Children's Hospital in physiotherapy Mm -hmm. trying to get me to react to what was causing my muscle strains. And anyhow, a few months before that, I remember my dad winning me this koala bear stuffed animal. And now I'm 43 years old, so 32 years later, that stuffed koala bear that I named Charlie is literally still sitting on my nightstand in my room. There's two things I carry. Right. I, it, on my nightstand, I've always had two things. I've always had that koala bear right beside me, and I've always had a Bible that my mother gave me in 1988. It's the last present I ever got from my grandmother. Uh, She died in October of that year, and for Christmas, my mom bought all of us grandchildren a Bible that was the last gift from our grandmother. And, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I look at those two things, and I think, man, how attached am I to those? 32 years later, I still see them every single day. You know, so I wonder that when it's my turn, am I going to be haunting those? Well, look look back to Egyptian times. Even the Egyptian times, they threw objects in the coffins or in the, uh, yeah, I think they're called coffins. Even when they were mummified, they they put their, their, their most valued possessions in with them. And I believe that carried on to the 40s and 50s, if I recall right. Um, some of the older generations put some of the, their most valued possessions in, in their coffins with them. So it, it's not so far-fetched in that when you look at ancient history, they even did it. So it would be very feasible to attach to objects. Have you have, do you have any haunted objects in your house? No, no, our, our house is heavily shielded, um, just based on what we do. Uh, so no, there's nothing haunted here. Spear brings up a good point. She says, don't forget, some people are able to create little entities and put them in vassals by accident. Even what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I, let me tell you a story. It's called a thought form. Um, yeah, anyone can create a thought form. The more energy you put into... Um, uh, I'm going to tell you a story I haven't told anybody. Um, I don't think. I'm, I've, I've talked about it before. I put a thought form in a Humvee. A Humvee is a, an army truck. And I named her Christine. No, Sabrina. That's right. Her name was Sabrina. And my motor sergeant gave Sabrina away. Totally ticked me off. Um, but okay, whatever. You know, you got to deal with what you got to deal with. Sabrina and I went to Iraq. <laughs> and my job, you know, with maintenance, because uh, I was a combat medic as well as mechanic um, for about half my career. And uh, we would go out to, uh, we were a signal unit. So we had different points where they shot the, the phone. Uh, we did telephone, we did internet, we did tactical satellite. And uh, so we had different points where they did their signal and uh we'd go out and check the trucks out and uh <laughs> so 
uh, I check on Sabrina, you know, every time I went out there. And the job of the operator was to, you know, they have to start the trucks up and whatnot and uh, make sure everything's running right. And they said, uh, yeah, bumper number 323 is not starting. Well, 323 was Sabrina. So I went out there and I talked to her. And uh, one of the privates came up, Sergeant Cooper, what are you doing? You're, you're talking to, your, to, to the truck. Like, yeah, between you and me, this is Sabrina. And she's alive. And, you know, and, and I told her, look, private so-and-so is going to come and read you every day. And will, will, will that make you happy? And uh, I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. The truck started right up. And his 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 sergeant heard about it. And, well, he thought it was all a joke. And he started talking crap about Sabrina. And a wind came up out of nowhere. And a tent pole hit him in the head. And I'm not even... No joke. It really happened. And, uh, yeah, Sabrina was happy from that day on because this private went out and read to her. So, thought forms, yes. Thought forms are very real. Thought forms, you, anyone can do. The more energy you project into an object, you can name them. And, I mean, it's it can, it can be dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Is uh, like anything else, you know. But thought forms are real. That surprises me that you had a military Humvee that was haunted because, <laughs> let's face it, that was built right in a manufacturer, you know, General Motors product, and literally made for the military, I mean, with cold parts, cold electronics. Like, I'm not seeing where anything human would have had an opportunity to be in that situation or to put their energy no. in that unless the unless maybe it was in the recycled metal now i know that may sound far-fetched but could it be that okay no 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 what i'm explaining is thought form and that's the energy you project the truck wasn't haunted the the truck was a uh, there's a thought form i projected into the truck um and, and that now, you want to talk about a haunted truck. Now, we did have a haunted truck in Germany, and I think I've told this story on uh, Spaced Out Radio before, too. We named her Christine, and uh, she was a het. Now, a het, I can't remember exactly the, uh, <laughs> the, the acronym, but it's basically a tank um, hauler. So picture a, the, the biggest truck you could think of. It, bigger than any semi you can see on the road, towing a trailer with about 20 wheels on it. And totally computerized. Hard as, as heck to troubleshoot and fix. But <clears throat> there was one truck that you could... Uh, she was in Bosnia, and people actually... She actually ran over people. So as far as souls attaching to vehicles... Um, yeah, because it's all metal and, and whatnot. But this truck actually, I mean, literally started when it wanted to, started on its own. Um, it, it, <laughs> and so haunted vehicles, yeah. And you could feel the energy off that truck. You could, I mean, I had 
other pagan soldiers that walked with me had no idea out of 20 trucks which one was haunted and stopped right in front of her and said, it's that one. So, I mean, yeah, haunted, haunted trucks, yes. But, no, my Humvee, that was a thought form. That was uh, a projected energy, a projected personality, basically. Do you find, then, Eric, that when it comes to the projection that we put on these vehicles, we give them personalities, we give them names, we give them identities, is that pretty mm -hmm. much the form of what we are doing? Like, we should be to blame for manifesting our energy into giving a a cold, soulless platform like a Humvee or a semi-truck energy? Uh, it, it can. I mean, you have to put a lot of... You, we're, we're talking, I went and put energy into the into my Humvee, for example, uh, every day for like months. It, it takes a lot to make a thought form. Um. It's not like you can just sit there and, and name your car, and you don't drive your car. Well, I don't know. Some people do. But it, it takes a lot. It, it takes a lot of work to make a thoughtful. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. That That is powerful. Anyone can, and, and anyone can do it. No one's special. I mean, it, anyone can do it. it it's It's human energy. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so in your time with Forest Moon Paranormal, with all of the cases that you guys have covered, how many times have you run into haunted objects that are causing the family or the place of business harm? I'm thinking, because I knew you were going to ask that. Oh. <laughs> well, I am smart um, that way. I'm not just a pretty face. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, let, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, it's actually quite common because I mean, and, and like I said, anytime a client's got issues and, and like I've told him before, we, we've been focused lately on one case in particular for the last three days. That one's got nothing to do with objects. So it's got a, a lot. In fact, I might be getting some ectoplasm on Sunday for, uh, Markham. Um, We'll see. But I would say 50-50 of object. And uh, uh, between object and, and projected energy, someone played uh, with something they shouldn't have, and that's what caused it to happen. Um, and, and the rest of it, yeah, and like I, like I said earlier, uh, did you bring something into the house? It can be as small as a rock. Where did you get the rock? Well, Native American uh, grounds. Well, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, I'd say our cases go 50-50 with uh, objects. I have to laugh at this question in Revolution Radio Juice Box. says, Dave, what is the meaning of life, and could you tell me about your childhood? Just joking. <laughs> the meaning of life. We're all not getting out alive. That's what I do know. Unfortunately, we're yeah. all going to have to pay taxes. And hopefully some of you don't have a former mother-in-law like I did. 
Could I tell yeah. you about my could I tell you about my childhood? No, it's it's boring. Spent way too many hours at the ball diamond at the hockey rink. Right? Yeah. By the way, I'm pretty happy I'm pretty happy your son wants to play hockey. I hope you're not going to discourage him from that. Oh, by all no, our ice doesn't get thick enough here. I mean, it gets cold, but we don't have a pond. We you can't, gotta, uh, drive into Bellingham, man. They got a rink there. Do they? Okay, yep. well, yeah, well, we'll look into it then. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta do that. You gotta do that. Tomorrow is literally, you know, next to Christmas and my birthday. Tomorrow is my favorite day of the year, and it's Why NA, is that? it's NHL trade deadline day. <laughs> You know, okay. literally this entire time I've been doing the show, I've been w- reading this sports website here in Canada to see if there's any trades. I, I got to tell you a story, you know, and I realize this is way off topic, but in my former career in radio, I covered the Vancouver Canucks and they had this player named Steve McCarthy, a defenseman that they had picked up earlier that year. And I got to know Steve a little bit because you're always trying to look for, you know, some sort of in to get that information in the in the dressing room. And Steve, back in his junior days, his defensive partner was a kid that I used to train because I used to be a hockey instructor before I got into radio. And so I got to know Steve a little bit that way and had his phone number and everything like that. So about eight minutes after the trade deadline, it's announced that the Vancouver Canucks had traded Steve McCarthy down to Atlanta. What's with the duck? Are you sitting duck? Are you sitting outside with a duck with the duck right now? Yeah, that's your, that's your duck. That's your favorite duck. Huh? That is my. Oh, I like that duck. Where's the sheep? <laughs> oh God, we got her pinned up. Oh, okay. Anyways, besides the duck in the background. Uh, anyhow, so I call up Steve about a couple minutes before I f- after I find up this news. And I said, hey, Steve, what's going on, man? He's like, oh, not much, just catching a nap, before, about to catch a nap before the game. I said, oh, yeah. I said, what do you think of the news? He goes, what news? I said, you, do- I said, you don't know? He goes, no what? I said, dude, you've been traded. Oh, bleep. He goes to who? He goes to who? I said Atlanta. He goes for what? Future considerations. He goes, oh, man. He goes, my wife just got here three weeks ago with all of our furniture from Chicago, and now I got to move it again. The life of a pro athlete, my friend. Yeah. He ca- I called him back a couple hours later. I said, how long did it take for the team to tell you you were traded? He goes, I waited for two and a half hours before they called me to tell me that I was gone. He goes, I'm not impressed. Oh, that's, just, that's, just, that's, just, that's just bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just the way it is sometimes. Just the mm-hmm. way it is. Absolutely. So tomorrow's a yeah. big... Tomorrow's a big day for me. I'm going to enjoy NHL trade deadline, but that's a Canadian exactly. in me. That's the Canadian in me. So I'm going to, I'm going to take care of that. I'll be up probably around six, seven in the morning just to see what's going on. Tune into the sports networks to see, uh, to see what's happening. But that's just the way I am. I like that stuff. Anyhow, let's get back into the paranormal side of things. 
and the cryptid side of things and the UFO side of things. You know, one of the things that uh, you are a major proponent of is the tie-in between all three. Now, you were the one who actually taught me that the word paranormal really is a blanket word or an umbrella word or or a tree with the branches of it being all the different sections of it. Do you remember mm-hmm. the moment where you were able to tie all three together? Not literally. Not literally. But, you know, the, the definition of paranormal is anything outside the normal range. Well, Bigfoot's definitely not normal. Unless you talk to the cryptids that think he's a... Uh, you know, an ancient animal, um, which I'm not a proponent of that one at all. Um, UFOs definitely aren't normal, unless, of course, you look at the proponent that it's, well, um, experimental craft, which I can get on board with some of them, not all. Even if there's 1% that are unidentified that we know aren't experimental, that's 1% that's questionable. Um, You know, and so... I don't know. I think it, what I'm excited about is when Markham and I get together and find a way to prove scientifically ley lines. Because I think ley lines is where a lot of it's going to be at. And what I plan on doing uh, this summer, we're going to turn this outdoor patio into a room off the house. It's going to be my mate's sewing room. It's going to be my QRT the quick reaction team headquarters office. And what I can't wait to do is get maps put up. Because then I'm gonna put I'm gonna put maps up and I'm gonna color code everything where the UFO hotspots are, where the missing people that are paranormal uh, you know, the, the questionable missing people are, where the Bigfoot sightings are seen the most, and tie them all together. Because I'm pretty sure, and we were talking about this, I think, two weeks ago, that if we actually did, you know, color codes and a graph, that you would find a lot of them are probably in the same, similar area. Then if we can scientifically show ley lines, um, get the satellite project that we're working on, well, Markham's working on, to basically create a magnified EMF meter that'll track ley lines and track UFOs and see if uh, there's a disruption in ley lines with UFO activity. Um, and that'll tie that, you know, if you have cross ley lines and there's high activity there, that that's an energy source that could be creating Bigfoot, that could be, well, Opening a doorway, dimensional doorway for Bigfoot, for hauntings, for that's where the tie is going to be. We're going to set the standard for the paranormal. Uh, I've, I've always said that. And this is the year that we're starting. Between the code of conduct that we've created, um, between the scientific standards that Markham's creating, um, we're, we're going to set the standard. Now, mm-hmm. who's going to follow? That's completely up to them. Mm-hmm. But if they're not a part of the solution, they're going to drop off. When you look at 
what we talk about a lot on this show and the importance of science. And I don't want to get into the debate of what's not happening here. We've done that ad nauseum on this show. <laughs> All right. Oh, Joe Allgaier in the SOR Space Travelers Club just posted a couple of pictures of what looks to be a UFO that just flew over his house like a blacked out triangle with no lights on but you can definitely tell it's a triangle those are pretty cool Joe great photos great photos oh that's definitely a triangle definitely a triangle GR3B? I don't know. It, it's blacked out. He just posted another one. They're coming to get you, Joe. Put the coins out tonight. <laughs> Put the coins out tonight, my friend. They're coming to get you. John is asking, hey, Dave, do you guys have fantasy hockey? No. Well, I don't. we do, but I don't play it. Fantasy hockey is uh, the dreams I have of actually playing pro. You know, but I actually take part in a simulated online online uh, league. Right now, I'm rebuilding through the draft, so I'm sitting in uh, fifth fifth from the bottom. So twenty fifth out of thirty teams. If you want to add that out, my team sucks, but don't tell the rest of the guys in the league. I'm trying to tank for that first overall pick. All right, but so. Yes, we do have hockey, you know, everywhere. And yes, Andy, hockey players at an elite level do make big money in the millions. Huh. Yeah, right. Joe, get them pointy sticks out. Yeah, Joe, need, you need to get your pointy sticks out, man. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, stealth technology. Joe, I'm going to ask you if you could uh, post those pictures in the Spreaker chat room because everybody over there wants to see them as well. And I know you bounce between the two. So if you could do that, that would be wonderful. Yeah, that's some black and triangle for, stuff right there, man. I love them black TR3Bs. If there's a way you can get a video of it, if it unless it's gone by now. I'm sure it is. Uh, I'm sure it is. That's good stuff, though. Yeah, it always happens during Space Out Radio. It always does. It always <laughs> does. You know? <sighs> I remember the first time that I just had this weird feeling, and the first time I was getting to know Joe, I said to him, I said, you have to, I said, I'm getting this weird feeling that you got to point your camera at such and such a place, at such, you know, and so he took this picture, and you see these eyeballs of the of these raccoons flat with the flash, right by his garden. But if you look up from that, there is like this clouded head of a gray alien standing right there. It was just so weird. Pointy sticks, Joe. Pointy stick time. That's all we need. Get the get the titanium ones though. The, uh, the titanium ones, not the not the wooden ones. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You don't want the wooden ones. They, you know, they may break. You can't have that. Yep, yep. Got an email tonight from a guy who is in our chat room, David Spinks. 
I'm going to bring him on as a guest in April. And if you're looking in this Space Out Radio chat room on Spreaker, click on Jeff's uh, link there. He's actually... Jeff, if you could throw mm-hmm. that at hashtag Space Out Radio, I would appreciate that as well. That's a picture that Joe just captured over top of his house. I love when that stuff happens right off the bat. Anyways, David Spade... A lot of stuff happens in California. Yeah. California. Big time. And he's right on the Nevada-California border, too. So there's a lot of stuff happening there. But David Spinks is going to join us in April. i got to set up a time with him. This is a guy who is a good friend of David Weatherly's, who is on tonight in the first two hours. He was stationed at Davis Monthan Air Force Base in Tucson in March mm-hmm. of 1997. He was at home watching TV when the phone rang. And they got scrambled back to the base because there was something going on. And he's given me the perfect tease in this email that about 50 A-10 Warhogs took off from Davis-Monthan base because there was something flying in the sky, which later be known Hmm. as the Phoenix Lights. Okay, I got you. Uh They sent Warhogs? They sent Warhogs after uh, the Phoenix lights? Well, apparently they scrambled them because they needed to do that. John, does it sound like I'm whispering now? John's complaining. <laughs> He's like, Dave, stop whispering. At hashtag space out radio. <laughs> I'm not whispering. Anyways, tomorrow night, you know what? Were, were you listening to us at that time when I had Harvey Kraft on? Or were you still... No, you weren't listening in 2015. Well, you came into the picture in 2016, didn't you? Yeah, it was uh, February of 2016, as a matter of fact. So I want to set this up. Do you, do you mind if I set this up for tomorrow night? No, go ahead. Three days before this show, on April 20th, 2015, I I literally stood outside one evening before the show, and I kind of looked up into the sky, and I said, you know, basically, where the hell are you? I haven't had an alien contact or visitation in a long time. I know that's a weird request. A lot of people would be saying, what what the hell are you doing that for? (laughs) But it hadn't happened in a while. Hadn't seen a UFO in a while. I was getting kind of pissed off about it, Eric, to be honest with you. You know, right. because when you, and you know what I, what I mean by this, when you say, you know, when you've had an experience, you want them to continue so you can continue to learn. But my experience mm-hmm. has just kind of stopped, just hit a dead halt. Anyhow, three days later, I sign on to the air. I do my introduction and I'm introducing, and you guys hear my introduction. It was much shorter back then, which I'm sure would appease a lot of people. Long story short, I introduce Harvey Kraft. And as I'm introducing him, in my old studio, in my previous house, my studio was right beside my front door. And I see something, and I did for some reason I didn't have my outdoor lights on. Normally I had my outside lights on, you know, just so I could see what was out there. Right. Anyhow, my lights were off. 
I just forgot to turn them on for a couple of days. And as I'm reading, I have this window to my left, a couple feet away, and I see something move out of the corner of my eye. My immediate reaction as I'm reading the intro to the show is, and you'll hear all of this tomorrow night is, holy cow, somebody's coming to my door. My dogs are going to go nuts. And I have a little dog that just doesn't like to shut up when she starts barking. So here I'm thinking, okay, who's here? Who would be here? So I introduce Harvey Kraft, who will be our guest tomorrow night. And I swivel in my chair to look out the window to see who is there. You know, so that way I can prep the wife through a text message or I got my microphone on mute so I can call the wife and say, hey, so-and-so is here. But But when I turn my chair to look, on the outside of my window, about six, eight feet from me, from where I'm sitting on the inside, I see these giant black eyes. And then I see the giant gray head around it. I'll tell you, man, that that was the most intense two seconds, three, maybe three seconds I have had in my life. Honestly. They, they, like, they like looking at windows because uh, we had a case. Well, we didn't take it, but uh, there, there was a guy down in Tacoma. Actually, he was closer to Mount Rainier that, uh, I can't remember if it was a reptilian. He just, he just described an alien that looked in his window uh, frequently. Um, and so, so yeah, when you described yours, cause uh, yeah, uh, it, it would be boggling for sure. And so anyways, here's the funny thing. So I got the alien at my window and I damn near fall out of my chair. And and we'll get into more detail about it tomorrow night, because I think that date in this show is an important piece of history in this show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm going to bring Mrs. S.O.R. down for that, because she was part of it behind the scenes. And her being an empath, you know, what she was picking up was... It was pretty intense. But here's the thing. A couple weeks ago, Harvey Kraft, who I haven't talked to, I think I've talked to him once, maybe twice since then. Well, he adds me on LinkedIn. Dave Scott on LinkedIn. I'll give a cheap plug there if if you're on LinkedIn and you want to check (laughs) us out. Anyways, he adds us on LinkedIn. And... I literally said, hey, how you doing? He goes, great. I said, what are you doing talking about ETs and sci-fi now? You're a Buddha guy. And he says to me, he goes, Dave, do you remember your show? I said, yes. How could I not forget? Right? I'll be a little sarcastic with that. And he says, that had a profound change on me. I had to look into it. And so he is now checked into, you know, looking into extraterrestrials and how they tie into sci-fi. And we're going to get into that tomorrow night, man. We're going to get heavy into it tomorrow night because, you know, we're coming up on the second anniversary 
April 20th. And probably I should have booked Harvey for that date. I don't know why I didn't. Probably should have. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to extend the invite out to, I don't know, maybe his name is Norm or Sid or Carl. So Carl the alien, if you want to come by tomorrow night, because I know you're flying over Joe's house in California right now. You know, literally, put it out there. literally, I am, <laughs> I am putting it out there because, because you know what? He stood me up. Carl, the alien stood me up on the first anniversary of that. Okay. 26, April, 2016. He stood me up. So Carl, the alien Harvey is coming back tomorrow night on the show. I'm putting it out there for you, big black-eyed dude, okay, to show up at my window. Now, I probably won't see you because I have that cold plastic stuff that keeps the cold out and the heat in wrapped around my windows because mm-hmm. my house is, like, as old as I am. And a couple of the windows haven't been changed. And if you've ever been in minus temperatures before, you know how quickly heat seeps out of them. So, Carl the Alien, mm-hmm. you got a free invite to come on in tomorrow. Oh, Joe says, Carl was moving north towards, or toward the north, so maybe he's going to Dave's. I hope so. I hope so. Because at that rate, he should be here in about, oh, three or four minutes. He's gotta, he, well, he's got to wait ten minutes because, literally, that's when I can go outside. So, Carl, if you're listening or tuning in, you know, I don't know if he's a Carl with a C or a Carl with a K. I'll have to ask him. But Carl, with a K. If, uh, see, I'm more of a C Carl kind of guy. <laughs> but seriously, he better show up. The invite is out there. We can't make it any more obvious that we would like Carl to, to come on over and hang out with us. You know, so Carl, get that exactly. Get that white alien ass over here. <laughs> okay, with that now, black I, eyes. I, I, have a, I have a question though. Did Jewel? Did did Mrs. Based Out Radio? Did she uh, pick anything up before he showed up? No. No. What happened was I actually, I actually texted her. Literally, the text... I wish I still had the text. The text was, get in here now, alien at my at the window. Hmm. And she... Next thing I hear is the tromping of feet coming down the hallway. And, you know, her being an empath, if, if you're empathic, you know that your hands are a very important tool. She immediately mm-hmm. put her put her hands up and moved them towards the window, and, and her hands are usually she's she's one of those ladies. I mean, what lady doesn't have them? She she has those ice cold hands. You know what I'm saying? Her hands right. are always cold. And she goes, "Oh my gosh!" She goes, "My hands are burning right now." And she showed me her hands as she pulled them away from the window. Her hands were absolutely red, and I put my hands on her hands and uh, and. They were hot. They were very, very hot. And the funny part about it is, here's the humor behind the scenes. As her and I are doing this, 
Harvey has absolutely no clue what is going on. No yeah. clue. Because he's busy talking about his answer. See, that's the beauty of a mic of a mic button. I can, you know, you you don't know what I'm saying behind the scenes, especially right. especially if I stub my toe or something like that. Because it, it, that has happened, you know. Um, <laughs> but but Harvey's sitting here, oh, you know, I got into Buddha because of this and that, and then I said, Harvey, I have to tell you something. We just had something strange happen here. I should see if I could get the clip. Maybe I'll do that. I, I'm off work tomorrow. Maybe I'll maybe I'll see if I can grab that clip for tomorrow. You need to. Yeah. Yeah. Play the clip and go into the whole scene all over again. That'll bring Carl back. Well, you know what? It rattled me. I remember one of our longtime listeners, Cog, saying, he actually messaged me privately. He goes, dude, are you okay? I'm yeah. like, because he goes, you sound rattled. And I was like, yeah, I am rattled. You don't forget that stuff, Eric. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. It's just like when you saw the pixelated reptilian, in the forest up by your house. You'll mm -hmm. never for, you'll never forget that moment. No. Not at all. It, it, it's in, it's in your mind. It's there with you all the time. Do you find that when you've had that let's go back to that experience for a second. All right. Mm -hmm. Do you find that every time you go out into the the forest now you're looking for it what well, no I, I didn't have a pixelated reptilian in the mountain I the, the two encounters I had re with reptilians was on Fort Lewis and in Atlanta I had the Bigfoot knock up on the mountain okay well when you had your alien encounter would you recognize right. would you when you were Let's say you're going out in the mountains or you're walking around your house or your property because you've got a pretty big mm -hmm. property. Are you looking for mm -hmm. it? Uh, not so much because, well, you, you know they're right here. Uh, they're, they're, they're right in the mountain behind us. Oh, the, the, the mountain they're in, I know, is about two to three miles east of us. So they could show up whenever they want, but they won't um, just because we're shielded and I know, I know that much uh, as far as the mountain I'm always uh, yeah <laughs> the, that mountain's eerie anyway um, so yeah I'm always looking for something mm -hmm. um, whether whether it's Bigfoot or alien no I get that and I can understand that mm -hmm. but do you find now that when you are in a I don't want to use the word predicament because that's not the right word for it. But when you were in a, in a situation where, let's say, a similar situation to when you had your reptilian encounter, do you find that you are aware more? Very much so. And if I encountered the same thing, uh, I would definitely recognize it because it's more of an energy feeling. And it's more of a smell, and it's more of a feeling. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would identify it the, the minute that it, it was around, uh, hands down. Because, I mean, the, the smell, of, oh, my God, the smell of a reptilian is by far the worst you'll ever smell. It's, and I've described it before as, yeah, it's, it's sewer and rotten flesh is what they smell like. Holding back on making a very sarcastically mean comment right now. <laughs> and no, it doesn't have anything to do with my former mother-in-law. So <laughs> that's that's good. That's it. Because if she smelled like that, oh my god! Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, oh, but, uh, but yeah, no, you 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 had a a, a vision a while back of 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 us encountering that on the mountain and that hasn't happened yet because I don't go on the mountain without the kids and I know when you had your vision I was by myself which that may happen this fall see when I had my vision with with Bigfoot Mm -hmm. you want to go overtime sure alright let's do that it's been a while when I had my, yes. yeah, it has. When I had my, uh, um, vision of Bigfoot. It's funny. I knew there was other people around me, but I could only see myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Like when I opened up to all of this stuff, and we we can get personal here. I, I don't mind. We're all friends. We're all friends. You know, um, when I opened up, it's amazing the stuff you see, man. It really is. I mean, you know what? We're going to, I think, let's get deep in this next hour, man. Let's get really deep. I mean, people may call us out on, on being full of shit or whatever, but, pardon my language, but, Let's just let's just get real with it. Let's get real. Okay. You know, because for a lot of people I don't think they understand what it's like being an experiencer. Sure they may have seen a ghost, sure they may not be aware that they have had an ET experience or something like that. But let's get into the human side of it. And all of a sudden these weird okay. strange visions that you start getting. And you know what I'm talking about. Things appearing mm-hmm. at the corner of your eye, you turn your head, and something's not there. Your chair all of a sudden, oh, Markham's pissed off at us, man. Markham is pissed off at us. <laughs> he goes, overtime, you boogers. Uh-huh. But we'll figure it out. We'll figure we it will. out. We will. Yeah, because that's kind of the way it goes. Guys, we're going to hop out for a break here, and... On Revolution Radio, we are going to say good night to you. Have a sweet night. We will be back tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern Time. Space Out Radio. Because that's what we do around here. I am whispering a lot tonight. I guess I'm trying to build that, 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 you know, that mood. There's that. Music from Revolution Radio. We're going to get on out of here. We're going to play a commercial break right now. 
Good night, Revolution Radio. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And for the rest of you Spaced Out Radio listeners, we are going to take a quick break here. We're going to do an hour of overtime. Me and Coop haven't talked in a while. Let's have some fun. We'll be back right after this. Give me about seven minutes. The SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines, your answers are a click away. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. Hi there. I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with the Cop. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Witkowski's Strange Days. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit. And expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. Have you checked out the SOR Spacewire at spacedoutradio.com yet? Every day we post the latest stories regarding the weird, strange, and completely unbelievable. From cryptid and UFO sightings to the conspiracy world, we tackle it all. Hi there, I'm Eric Markham, Space Out Radio's news director for the SOR Spacewire. And if you have a story, I want to hear it. Email me at news at spaceoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. 
For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio or our website, including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio, Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Gotta love Bumblefoot. Don't know who to play for anymore. That call is for overtime here on Spaced Out Radio. How y'all doing? Sometimes we just like... To go into a little bit of OT. Because we can. It's been a while. Since we've been able to do that. But that's okay. We're back. We're ready. And I feel like doing a little bit of overtime tonight with Eric Cooper. 
It's always a lot of fun when the coop and his beard are around. It is. Thank you, Coop. I do want to remind people, tomorrow night on the show, Harvey Kraft will join us. We're going to talk about extraterrestrials. He had a profound change because of this show. And if you heard what we were talking about just the last half hour, you'll know that it's directly involved with an experience I had. He was on the other end of the microphone at that night. 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time at spacedoutradio.com. Make sure you're there. Mm -hmm. I hope you are. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio. If you want to get into the Twitter game, like Muji Boy, Rahonda, Jeff, Skeptic, and John are around somewhere. And I'm sure mm -hmm. Canadian Joe is hiding around the corner. A few others as well. You can also give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn, download this show and others on our iTunes. Subscribe to that, would you? We've also started a campaign on Patreon.com. Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. We're going to have some fun with that. So make sure you check that out. We're all over the place right now. Because that's what we want to do. Bill, I would check your password again for tonight. But I got to tell you, I had to reboot that computer. It was really slow. So I apologize. Joe's seeing triangles over his house in California. That's how we got into all this alien stuff. Lois Griffin is in the chat room. She wants to hear more aliens. And she likes overtime. Rahonda likes the horn. <laughs> Skeptic on hashtag Space Out Radio says, Overtime, I ain't paying for this. No, we're donating it to you. We're donating it to your cause. Don't know what that cause is, but we're donating it to your cause. And for those of you who don't know what the horn actually is that I blow. See, being a hockey fan, Budweiser here in Canada, I'll give them a plug, even though they're not a sponsor. <laughs> Nick sends me a message. I hate that sound because it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Anyhow, the whole point is, um, what was I saying? The, the hockey horn. Budweiser has a thing called the Budweiser Red Light. So I have that programmed. Anytime Team Canada or my Vancouver Canucks score, it goes off. Uh-huh. So I figured, you know what? That's a good overtime ring. When we started doing overtime, I just we needed something. So that's how I brought in the horn. I said, screw it. i got to bring the horn in. And that's what I did. Brought the horn in that's for some OT. Fitting. It should be. It, it, it is. You know, because the regular game's over. We're going into overtime. Right. Uh so, that's kind of where we're at. We're kind of right there. Reptilians. Reptilians. You had a question from Bob in the SOR Space Travelers Club about reptilians. I'll let you take that. Oh, hold on. i got to scroll back up and find the question. Uh, uh, do all reptilians look the same? Uh, reptilians have a hierarchy. Um, and I hate 
saying yes, reptilians are color coded, but that's kind of what the hierarchy is. The there there's a reptilian that's white, and the white reptilian is more or less, I guess, the president, the king, the queen, whatever you want to call them. You won't see them come down here. They stay. I can't. You know, I don't have all my all my data in front of me, so I, I'm just I'm just going off the top of my head now that I remember. Um, you've got the green reptilians. The green reptilians are the worker bees. They're the ones that you find down here. They are flesh eaters. They are the ones that smell god awful and uh, give you an awful vibe. And uh, then you've got I think it's the red reptilian, otherwise known as Dracos as well. Um, I see the reptilians and the Dracos are the same. I think some would argue, but I see them as the same. And that's the hierarchy. And uh, reptilians are reptilians. There's no different races of them. I'm thinking there's anything I'm missing. Uh, I'll be talking about all this at uh, the, the Spaced Out Radio Piracon, as a matter of fact. When is that, Dave? September 29th to April, October 1st. There you go. And we're yeah. so looking forward to that. You should be. Skeptic in it's hashtag them. Spaced Out Radio, I want to see you at the Paracon. I want to see if you really look like Harry Houdini. Yeah. So, so we're, we're getting deep and personal. And my first reptilian encounter was probably the most eye-opening for me because I was I was stationed in Fort McPherson, Atlanta, Georgia, and it was yeah when when you, when you have your first encounter, the one at Fort Lewis is like oh my God they're here again what the hell you know <laughs> but the first time. I was standing outside, and if you've ever been to Georgia, well, you've got listeners in Georgia now. That's kind of cool. Um, I was in Morrow, Georgia, for the ones that are in, in Georgia. And uh, I was outside, and it's god-awful hot. And it's about, oh, probably 6 p.m. And I looked down, and there's... I've never seen praying mantises before in my life. Never seen them since. But there is about 20 praying mantises around my feet. And I was like, what the hell? And about then... Um, what was their prayer? Same, I have no idea. Okay. Lunch? I don't know. <laughs> but, but I got a, a, a splitting headache and complete nausea. And had the same sensation, the same everything that that the reptilians do, but I really didn't know at the time what it was. Um, other than an image I did get. And this lasted about five minutes. And I know from my door, it was standing because I could visualize it in the parking lot, which is about 10 feet from my door. 
and it's kind of weird, but this lasted about five minutes, and it was almost like a dog whistle. You know those dog whistles you're not supposed to hear? There's this electronic piercing noise, and it was all gone. Now, all I can figure, the grays have never messed with me. I've seen the grays. Um, but from perception, it's almost like the grays came and drove it away. Don't ask me how. I have no proof of that uh, other than, I don't know. I get information downloaded sometimes, and, and that's what happened with that. Um, but yeah, you're right. That's one of those things that you don't forget. I mean, I, I'm still picturing it in my head now and more people need to come out that have experiences and talk about, it, but they won't because of the ridicule, the people that laugh at you and think you're a nut job. And you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. You know, I mean, some of the things that I have seen since I started, you know, even before I started this show in 2014, mm -hmm. it is it is a very, very difficult thing to accept. It um, is. Unless you have the ability internally to say, screw it. I really don't care what the world says. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm experiencing. But that's why shows like Spaced Out Radio are important. And that's why what Forest Moon Paranormal does is focus on the experiencer. And more and more people are coming out. They are. But, and I don't like bringing it up, but it's the fringe groups that drive the experiencer away. I would because agree they with ask that. for help. Well, they ask for help. Then you got some Joe Schmo Pokemon ghost group, whether it's abduction or not. And, and I've said this before, but, you know, and that's why, that's what irritates me with the paranormal aspect, that everything's hauntings. No, it's not. You've got just as many abductees out there that go through just as much crisis as someone that's getting bit and scratched by an entity. But they have nowhere to turn. The one that's experiencing the entity has, what, 36,000 groups that are listed that you can supposedly turn to. True. But when they do, Mr. Pokemon Ghost group comes in and gets an EVP or doesn't get an EVP and says well you're clear there's nothing here or hey look at this cool picture we got yep you are haunted now they've been you know they've been it's been clarified that yes you do have a haunting but we don't know how to remove it have a nice day and that's why about 99% of our cases are terrified people that have contacted other people for help and either that group made it worse or that group didn't do anything. And now we got to clean up a mess. And we do it all the time. 
the case in the, the, the case we're working on right now. Somebody opened up Pandora's box and his family's been dealing with hell for eight months now. And we're still working on this case. You, you know, we usually get cases closed within two hours. We're still working on this case. That's how bad this one is, and that's why we're going to their house on Sunday. And it's a ferry right away. It's a ways away. So, but I hate having to clean up someone else's mess. Because it shouldn't get that far. I understand that, and I know where you're going with that. But I think, you know, while we're in this, I want to focus on what we have to do as experiencers to get people to understand what we go through. Like, it is the ultimate mind F, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You don't understand. You know, and, and let's take this personal for a second, Eric, because... You've had downloads. I don't know if I've had a download or not. But I have had I a couple of epiphanies. Right. You know, but but I don't I don't think people, a lot of people out there fully understand or comprehend what it's like to all of a sudden have your eyes opened up. You know, where all of a sudden you're, you know, I remember, you know, as a kid, you see something out of the corner of your eye, oh, that's just my imagination, oh, there's nothing there. But the one thing that I've learned out of it is when you have something happen uh, and you see something out of your corner of your eye, it's there. Mm -hmm. It's there. And when you, when you, go ahead. Well, so many parents, I mean, going back to going, going to kids for a second, so many parents will tell their kids, it's your imagination. But is it? I mean, and that's why kid cases are so important to us. Because so many parents um, just brush aside what their kid's going through because it's all imagination. And, you know, and, there, and there's a post in our group about imaginary friends. Are imaginary friends really imaginary friends, or is there more to it? Well, I mean, that's an entire different story as it is, <laughs> because, you know, a lot of parents will shut down kids, and kids need to be worked on with this. But I'm saying mm-hmm. as an adult, if we focus on adults here for a moment, Coop, Mm-hmm. It's hard for a lot of adults to comprehend when you have something strange come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden you see a UFO on the ground, or you see Sasquatch walk by you, or you see a ghost disappear in front of you, or you see an extraterrestrial standing right in front of you. Right. You're not supposed to believe in that because we are trained, if, you, if you're trained by... <laughs> One of the many religions on this planet, those aren't supposed to exist, or they're demonic. You're not supposed to acknowledge things like that because of maturity levels, because of societal levels. And I don't think people fully comprehend or understand, Eric, the emotional 
how can I put this? The emotional uh, effect it has on you when you see something directly in front of you that isn't supposed to exist. Now, hey, if you're if you're getting abducted by extraterrestrials in the middle of the night, you can literally write that off as a dream because you don't know if it's a dream of an overactive imagination, stress, whatever you want, or if it's a real thing. I'm not fully convinced of that yet. And I know that I've dreamt about that happening three times to my knowledge. But when you see it with your opened eyes and your awakened eyes, and I'm not saying spiritually awakened, I'm like, you're awake, like you are right now, me, I am right now. And you have that encounter. That's a whole different ball game on the emotions and the conscious, isn't it, Eric? And Cooper's line hung up. See, that's what he gets for living way up in the sticks. We'll get Cooper back on here. I was like talking to myself there for a second. Let's see how many rings it takes us. I'm going to bet two rings. I bet you his beard hung up on us. Do you think it was his beard or just the fact that he lives out in the sticks somewhere? One ring. Damn it. Damn it, man. Overtime isn't over yet. No, I know. You know, I was <laughs> I was on a great power thought and you hung up on us. Hung up. I didn't. It was it, it was weird because all of a sudden uh this voice came on my phone that said uh your call cannot be completed, just dialed and yada yada. Like, I didn't call anybody. Weird. <laughs> Weird. Anyways. And then, what you, a, well, then, then you came back on, and then my phone hung up. Weird. Yeah. It's your beard playing tricks on you. It's not, because I got the phone away from the beard. Was it the duck? <laughs> be honest. No. Was, it, was it the duck? It was them. <laughs> yes, now. Anyways, what what I was saying, I don't know how much you caught of what I was saying before the phone hung up, but a lot of people, Eric, don't understand when you see something with your open eyes, awakened eyes, mm -hmm. like we're awake right now, it's not a dream state. We're not talking the dream state where you think you may have been abducted or had an overactive imagination or just a bad day, stress, whatever causes nightmarish type dreams. But I'm saying your awakened right. eye. People, for the most part, do not fully comprehend or understand how traumatic that can be. Because your mind cannot process what is going on. Have you found that to be the case as well? Oh, yeah. Because the words out of every client's mouth are, I don't want you to think I'm crazy. And that and that's no lie. Every client we've had says, "Well, I'm going to tell you, it sounds crazy." I'm like, no, it really, it really isn't going to sound crazy at all because we hear it all the time. It's not crazy; it's reality. And so, yeah, and people are conditioned that way. Whether it's through their belief system, their religion, or whether that's the way they're brought up, or you see it on TV. You know, it, it, I mean, you, you see the media today scoffing. 
clear there's a UFO sighting in Seattle. You know, it, 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 it's it's society's conditioning, and it's not going to change uh, until more and more people start coming out. When you have dealt with it, these people who have that experience, and by the way, Joe is blaming your duck for hanging up the phone. <laughs> And John in hashtag spaced out radio says, Epiphany, I used to pole dance under that name. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John. It is. That is hilarious. Uh, but on a serious note, it's traumatic. Because you never get those images out of your mind. And you know, the skeptics out there, and or the five senses people out there, more five senses than skeptics. They can come up with any type of excuse they want. I really don't care. Oh, they do. I know what I no, saw. Man. I know what exactly. I saw. And you know what you've seen, and the experiencers who are telling the truth know what they've seen. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, man, I, it's an emotional equation that I have not found the answer to. You know, it's it's something where I just cannot, for the life of me, figure out how 2 plus 2 equals 4 with what I've seen. It doesn't until you, do, until you research it and see that there's other people that experience the same thing. And <laughs> my reptilian encounters happened, well, let's see. Probably two or three years after I was, and I hate using the, word, the term awakened, but, uh, you, you know, I was thrown literally into the abduction situation. Uh, literally. Um, I had this friend, and we woke up, and she freaked out because she had triangular puncture marks on her lower abdomen. And, like, huh. Those are undistinguishable. You know, they're, they're obvious. And we turned on a talk show. And the particular topic they were talking about on this talk show was alien abductees. And they went into their first sign was a triangular-shaped pattern of puncture marks on the lower abdomen. And... Uh, it's like, oh, hell no. Really? Never seen a UFO. Wasn't even into aliens or abduction. It's like, it, it was just, you know, at, prior to this, it was uh, whatever. You know, think what you want. Possibilities there, but, you know, just not my thing. <laughs> and... I went out, and the first book I got was Dr. David Jacobs' Secret Life. Probably the best book I could have ever gotten. Because it went into every pattern, the whole phenomena, um, right down to the missing fetus, you know, two weeks later, four weeks, I think it's four weeks later. I think it's like a month gestation period, if I remember right. And we went through every pattern. Literally which is why I know abductions today, you know, and 
So we went through all that. Saw my first UFO sighting in Germany, second UFO sighting in Germany, and third UFO sighting was in Iraq, but that was years, it was like 10 years later. Um, and I guess within the first year of our abduction situation, I had every book you could think of on alien abduction, on UFOs, you could think of. Right down to, you know, Brad Steiger, Linda Moulton Howe, uh, all, all the all the big names. I, I picked up their books and, and read them cover to cover. And went to Germany. And I had a commander that was actually, uh, yeah, I think UFOs exist. You won't hear a com uh, uh, an army commander say that too often. Are you still there? I am. I'm listening. Okay. Okay. You were no, you were you were make, telling a story. You remember? Yeah. 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 Uh, make sure I didn't cut off again. <laughs> Hold on. One second. Um, Bill Cardwell's password of the night is plenty potier. Oh, how did I just butcher that? Plenty potieri. <laughs> plenty potentiary. There we go. Plenty potentiary. Trying to read it on my iPhone. That's it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so we went to yeah, we were in Atlanta and this is back in, bear in mind, this is back in 94, that all this, all this started in 1994. And, and like I said, before 1994, I, you, I could give or take aliens or UFOs or anything. I went to Somalia in 93, didn't see nothing. Uh, I was studying paganism at that point. Um, but Peter Gersten had an organization called Cause back then. It was Citizens Against UFO Secrecy. And experiencers went and told their stories. That's what Cause was all about. And he, Peter Gerson's a lawyer. He, he, he closed down Cause, I think, back in 97, I believe it was, and switched gears, and uh, I'd have to look him up again. Uh, I've actually talked to that guy. I joined MUFON, um, actually met some MUFON members in Atlanta. Wasn't impressed because back then MUFON was all about uh, discrediting anyone that reported. So, and, you know, Atlanta's a hotbed because Atlanta's also where I met the alien in the restaurant. The guy that claimed he was an alien. I really have no doubt. Because, I don't know, just the, if you can feel energy, the guy wasn't human. He looked human, but he was a genius, and he lived in a hotel. He lived in a hotel because he was terrified of being caught, which if he's an alien, uh, I would be afraid of being caught too. Um, and at that point in time, this is back in 95 through 98. No, 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 no. I was in Germany, 95 through 98. 98 to 2001. And exact same time period, there's another uh, guy that was actually building a UFO model. 
actual size, the dimensions, the whole nine yards. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say going from 94 of the awakening, and, uh, you know, a whole lot of stuff happened in, 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 the, in, in between that time. Um, then I don't know if it happened or not, because that, that's just a, a, that has to do with my ex, and I don't talk about my ex. Um, but when you have a psychiatric condition and you don't know if that person really experienced it or if they didn't, that's why the paranormal experiences I went through, I only talk about because I was there and I know they happened. If the experiences that she claims happened, happened, I mean, we're talking a doll walking upstairs and knocking on our door. Those stories I don't tell. Because I can't verify them. I know the doll was in our apartment. Did she actually walk up the stairs? I have no idea. That's where you have to rule out psychiatric conditions with clients. Same thing. Did it really happen? I can verify if it happened by equipment, by mediums, things like that. Couple questions but, for you. Okay. Joe wants to know which aliens pilot the black triangles. <laughs> oh God, now, now, now for those tuning in. About an hour ago now, Joe started posting pictures in the SOR Space Travelers Club of a black triangle flying over his house during the show. Mm-hmm. Um, black triangles. That one, uh, I know I've been told before uh, the Anunnaki are supposed to pilot triangles. But, you know, that could be a TR-3B as well. Um, the one, uh, the ones that amaze me too are the Venus, uh, the, uh, the Phoenix lights, the Phoenix lights. Um, the big boomerangs. But, yeah, the boomerang, yeah, I haven't seen one, but, now, is it actually a boomerang or is it a part of the triangle, but the other lights are, you know, lights burned out. <laughs> no idea, man. No idea. Uh, you know, maybe they're, I wonder if aliens ever drive with or fly with one headlight on. I've wondered that too. I'm not going to lie. They, they, they didn't go to UFO zone and buy a new headlamp, you know? No, exactly. You know, <laughs> I wonder if they pull into the old... You know, car stop or UFO stop, maybe maybe somewhere on Saturn or Jupiter or someplace like that. Pull on in and change a headlight. I wonder if they right. get. I wonder if they get warranty on their spaceships. So when they purchase a spaceship, do they buy the, you know, the five millennia, one trillion kilometer extended warranty on their ships? This is the sh- stuff that goes through my head, man. I'm not gonna lie. This is the stuff that goes through right. my head. Now, 
You know, it, it's kind of cool because uh, I think in the last week I've heard more people talking about these orbs, mm. the UFO orbs. I had a woman describe, uh, I believe it was a white orb, and it blinked out. And, you know, I, that, that's the exact same thing that happened with the orange orb I saw in Germany. And I'm, we're driving down the Autobahn at midnight. I just took a soldier to prison. And so it's midnight. We're coming back from Mannheim, which is where the um, U.S. prison is. And I'm looking over the town of Bavinsheim, and there's a giant orange orb over the town. Now, I'm looking, and it's to my left. But to the right is the full moon. I'm like, well, that's not, because you know how the, the moon can get red sometimes. So I'm like, well, hey, maybe it's a, no, the moon's right there. <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I, and I kind of tapped on the NCO that was driving the shoulder and said, you see that thing over there? And he said, yeah. Um, don't know what it is. I'm like, no, neither do I. We watched it for like five minutes. And just like you flip a light switch, it blinked out. It didn't shoot up. It didn't, because uh, I've heard some people talk about flames. Um, this thing, just like you turn a light switch out, it blinked off. And after that happened is when I've, I've told about the dog experience where my, my chow chow, I got a copper taste in my mouth. And at the same time, my chow chow left the kitchen, went into the living room, and was looking at the ceiling and following something around and whimpering. There's nothing there. And sat down as if on command, whimpering, like I wanted to play. And this lasted about five or ten minutes. And then uh, gone just as fast. And the dog went back to normal. Um, so visitations, yeah, I, that that was to me that was another alien visitation. Because it definitely wasn't spirit. Um, my second UFO encounter happened shortly after that, and uh, I was out in the patio of my housing, and I was, saw a star that was blinking, and I went and got a flashlight, and I flashed the flashlight at this star and it shot down and went from star level to about the level of an airline like a, you know, a jet and it hovered there for a minute and then just as fast shot back up to where it, its original spot was <coughs> the third sighting was in Iraq and it was flying over Syria and it showed up for about three nights in a row. Now, it, it very well could have been, you know, experimental craft, war zone and all. But I had helicopter mechanics and helicopter flight crew with me. And we all witnessed it. And going by their word, even, even they said, you know, it's not one of ours. It's not normal aircraft. Going by the light patterns of it and the way it moved, and there was no noise. So, another aircraft, I mean, it was triangular shaped, just like the one Joe had a picture of, but it was 
green lights, blue lights, not normal light colors for dimensional aircraft. So those are those are my three sightings, and then of course we have, we occasionally have sightings up here, just basically lights in the sky that move too fast or have no noise or uh, yeah, it's a plethora of paranormal activity in concrete. You know that. Yeah, very much a plethora there. <laughs> Jeff says in the chat room, I thought Dave was going to get up early and hockey something, dude. Still early, man. It is. I go to bed at 1 o'clock every night. (laughs) So I will be up. I will be up, and hopefully there will be a plethora of trades tomorrow. There you go, a plethora. A plethora of of trades. trades. I hope so. Yes, Uh I like like good hockey trades. I'm not going to lie. I really do. So Bigfoot, talk about pixelated Bigfoot. Mm. It's twelve forty-five here, I Jeff. Can't, Sorry, I can't. I can't wait. I can't wait to go up and uh, check out. I still need to set up a Bigfoot gifting site. You know that. Well, you know what? I'm going. I'm going to be taking because your Paracon is the week before. I'm going to be taking a week off that week mm-hmm. because I want to get down to yours. I don't want to have to rush back to work and then take extra days off to get our Paracon going as well. Mm -hmm. But I can say this. um, I'm going to make damn sure damn sure that, you know, I have enough time to take you on out. I I hope you come out uh, or up here a couple days before because we can... Uh, if Markham's with us, we'll get Mike Schmidt with us. You know, he'll bring the rifle in case something does come at us. Uh, right. But if I, I'm pretty sure if we're in a pretty big group that we're going to be safe from the Cougars. Mm-hmm. Because we're very unattractive, so we'll be safe from the Cougars. No no problem. But it's, yeah. it's more the grizzly bears. But I want to go out to this... Uh, to this area where there's a lot of sightings and I want to take you guys to where we saw the footprints too. Now, I think that we need to, um, we need to investigate that, but I mean, we can't do that, you know, while I'm set up for the Paracon and everything. So yeah, right. We'll get that. Well, we got to, we got to take Tyler with us. Well, Markham's lying in the chat room. Eric Markham is lying. That's two minutes in the penalty box for you, saying he's attractive as heck. <laughs> well, no, he said he shaved his beard off. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, he didn't no. shave it off. He trimmed it. Oh, now he's stealing my line, <laughs> saying that he's got a face for radio and a voice for print. <laughs> oh. Yes. But yeah, we gotta bring Tyler Allen with us. That would be kind of cool. He's wanted, he's wanted to come up and go hiking before the Paracon, anyway. Well, you know what? There's a few places I want to check out. A few places I want to take you guys to that area where 
Mrs. S.O.R. and I had that very strange feeling that we were being mm-hmm. watched. We just could not, um, we could not uh, place what it was. I want to take you up there. I want to take you where we found the footprints. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to take you up to where the old abandoned mine is. Because... What about where you saw the little person? Oh, yeah, we can take you there, too. Take you there for sure. I'm curious, that, that, I'm curious that, about that. Yeah, that's nice and close. <laughs> and there's only black bears and cougars in that area. We don't have to worry about the grizzlies. Oh, that's good. Absolutely. Definitely good. You know, we, don't, we don't care for grizzlies. No, the grizzlies they're haven't. Aggressive. Yeah, they haven't moved in. You know, they're like cats. They're just pissed off. Uh-huh. You know, it's too bad, because they're a good-looking creature. They are. Now, I know Tyler's got some new information he's going to be sharing, because he's been doing comparisons between Bigfoot and their interaction with wolves and coyotes. He's been noticing some things. Is he noticing almost a camouflage? Not yet. Not that, I, not that I've uh, talked with him about Talking about the pixelation? Yeah. I'm not sure how much he's gotten out lately, though, either, because I, I know his, uh, he's got school with his boy, and his boy's doing sports work. But I want to, now that you brought that up, I want to go up to the Bigfoot spot on the mountain behind me where I yeah. heard the tree knocks and see if I can catch pixelation. So I have a new camera to try out. I got for Christmas that I haven't had a chance to try out yet. And it's a night vision video camera. I think we're going to try that out. We're going to try that out when we do our uh, training. This, Yeah, it's, it's, it's March now. It's after midnight, so I can see this month. Yeah. But, yeah, we're, we're doing our paranormal protection training, and I want to video it because uh, there, there's a lot of people that want to take our training that aren't in the area. So if I can videotape our training and then post it on YouTube so they can watch it. Right. Perfect. And then they're, then they're we're, we're going to Northern State Mental Hospital in April. Well, not the hospital, the, the dairy farm, because you can't go to the hospital. It's owned by, I believe, the state. And uh, test out equipment, and the team members are going to test out their protection. And we'll videotape that as well. We'll go over investigative technique. And then in May, we've got wilderness survival, land navigation, first aid. In June, we're tying it all together with alien races, fairies, um, scientific evidence collection technique and standards, and basically everything that's left. And then they're going to have a written test. They pass the written test, part of the team. And that's Very how we're cool. doing it here. Very cool. That's awesome. And then we, and then we should have our five hundred one c three by then. So then we're official. I'm honestly yawning. I apologize. I'm it's only okay. Well, you know, I'm you, you, 
you know, I'm looking at the clock here. <laughs> Hold on. I'm only on, about to wrap up hour 18 of work today. Right. I would say that's almost long enough. And we just don't do overtime very much. I want to do it more. I do. I just don't have time. <laughs> no, you do enough hours of the day. Oh, man. I hear you. Uh, Joe's, and, saying, and, Joe, Joe's saying, Dave, you can't go to sleep. You have to stay up for when Carl shows up. Damn, Carl, you better be there, you bastard. <laughs> Uh, Tri- Trippin tri- wants to know when the videos from the Paracon will be up. Uh, I've got to get with, uh, I believe SJ took the videos. So i got to get with her and try to get copies of those. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm way behind, I know. I also uh, want to let people know that if you can't make it up to the Paracon for Spaced Out Radio, we're going to try and figure out a way to stream it live. We'll either do it on Facebook Live or we will do it on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. So we'll figure out a way to get that done. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the things that we, we are going to do. And that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Rahonda is telling me on Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio, go to bed, get some rest. No, I'm doing overtime right now. Damn it, Rahonda. <laughs> Damn it, Rahonda. Give me a break here. I'm doing overtime. Do you mind? Can you imagine when overtime is hour six? You know what? I'll be honest with you. I actually look forward to that. I do. Well, it'd be awesome. Would be to have twenty four seven paranormal radio. Yeah, we got to make some money to do that. That's five years down the road. People are always like, "There's no money in the paranormal." Ah, hell, let's just create it. Right? We'll be, we'll be like Fort Knox. We'll just create our own. <laughs> there you go. Borrow it off the Rothschilds. They can afford a couple of bucks for old spaced out radio. Mm-hmm. Oh, we just have all the listeners play the lotto for us. Well, you know what? It's one of those things, as we grow, we'll just see where it goes. we got to get our social media numbers up, though. That's one thing that's kind of concerning me. We have all these people listening, but they aren't adding us on social media. They aren't following the homepage. They aren't doing all that stuff that they're supposed to do. Naughty listeners. Naughty listeners. Yeah, I know it. I know it. It's oh, just like we have 6,000 We have six thousand members in Forest Moon Paranormal and only about 100 of them mm-hmm. talk or post anything. Or, I call them lurkers. There's a lot of lurkers out there. They don't commit. They don't do anything. They just lurk. Well, there's a lot of people out there, too. I mean, don't forget, on our timeline, people are sleeping. You head over to Mm -hmm. Australia, where they're living in the future. You know, it's just after dinner time there. You know, they (laughs) they could... Hey, 
I, I got to ask these Aussies since they're they're already past the NHL trade deadline tomorrow. What else did my yeah? What else did my Canucks do? That's what, what I want to know. What else did my Canucks do? Because you think they're in the future, so they should know. They should. Yeah, they're they're the ultimate time travelers. Exactly. Or in this case, space travelers. Oh, there you go. There we go. That was that was smooth, eh? That was. That was. That was. How many beard tugs are you going to get this Paracon week? Oh, probably about twenty. Are you kidding me? Between you and Christina George. Oh, there's going to be a hell of a lot more than twenty. There's going to be, there's going to be closer to you know one fifty two hundred. Okay, okay, that's fine. yeah. I look forward to it, buddy. Indeed. I miss the preacher tonight. I do. Yeah, I know he's still cussing us. I know, I know. He's still <laughs> he's still pissy about it. <laughs> I've started up the bumblefoot. I know you hate that. I do. I know. I wish I could keep going. That's four hours, man. (laughs) Four hours in the run. Boy, that went by quick. It did. And fun as always, though. Absolutely. It always is. The real cool part about this is David Weatherly, who is our guest for the first two hours tonight, will be back on this show on April 25th talking about haunted toys mm-hmm. hockey is not an imaginary sport there Jeff may you lose your chin hair that you've grown so beautifully shame on you anyhow if you're listening in on the space out radio side which I know you are you hear Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal formerly of Guns N' Roses currently of Art of Anarchy Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocks us in and out of every single show. Tomorrow night, we will be joined by Harvey Kraft. We're going to talk extraterrestrials. We're going to talk sci-fi. And for the first hour, we're going to bring in Mrs. SOR as well to talk about the E.T. experience that we had on April 20th, 2015 when Harvey was on the air with us. That's what we're going to be doing. 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time at spacedoutradio.com. Once again, I want to thank David Weatherly for joining us. It's going to be great to get him back on in two months. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter at Space Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Space Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. And our website is spacedoutradio.com, where we have a plethora of features for you, including plethora or ing all around the website. Check it out. Do me a favor. Tell a friend. Spread the word. Get them to add this on social media. Join us on Patreon, so that way we can start bringing in an income. I want to take this show to four hours. Four hours is so much more fun. Mr. Bubblefoot, do me a favor. Take us home. Good night.